0: Restaurants Unstoppable, episode 1036
1: with Johnny Zella. Take yourself out of your comfort zone every day. Seek both mental and physical exhaustion so you could be at peace with yourself but never satisfied. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of
0: restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode made possible by Restaurant Technologies, Inc. RTI's Total Oil Management automates your entire cooking oil process. With Total Oil Management, you get dependable fresh bulk cooking oil delivery, filtration plus oil usage monitoring and reporting, easy oil disposal, used cooking oil pickup and recycling, and say goodbye to messy, dangerous restaurant rendering tanks. Yuck. RTI's end-to-end cooking oil system helps you manage your used cooking oil disposal storage, collection, and recycling conveniently, safely, and cleanly with no upfront cost. Restaurant Technologies Inc. is always on, so you don't have to be. To learn more, head to rti-inc.com and let them know Restaurant Unstoppable Podcast sent you their way. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot This episode brought to you by owner.com. Owner.com is the leading all-in-one platform for restaurant marketing. Owner.com powers everything from SEO optimized websites, direct online ordering, automated email and text marketing, built-in loyalty programs, zero commission delivery, and branded mobile apps for your restaurant that's integrated right into your POS. With owner.com, there's no contract, no hidden fees, and nothing to lose. Join thousands of restaurant owners using owner.com to grow direct online sales, save thousands in third-party fees, and simplify their online ordering presence all in one. Book a free demo today at owner.com slash unstoppable and see why owner.com is the number one rated restaurant marketing software. This episode is brought to you by Margin Edge. Margin Edge is a restaurant management software that helps you see your food and your labor costs in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. Just snap a picture of your invoice and Margin Edge will process them within 24 to 48 hours with line item detail, including handwritten adjustments. This allows you to save hours on paperwork so you can spend more time creating great guest experience. Head to MarginEdge.com slash unstoppable to sign up for a free demo today. That's MarginEdge.com slash unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, COO of Condado Tacos, Johnny Zila. My man, Johnny, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am feeling unstoppable. Dude, I know this is going to be good. I know you're unstoppable because I just finished up talking to the CEO of Condado Tacos, Chris, and he was amazing. Um, And he spoke so highly of you. Awesome. Not to put... pressure on you man so i cannot wait to dive into who you are and how you've scaled within this this organization Mm because you you were here from the very beginning yeah yeah very beginning day one proof that there's room for operation or room for for growth and uh, i think you're living proof of that so i can't wait to get into the story but let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you have for us
1: Ooh, um quote or mantra you know there's so many great sayings out there. Um, it's hard to live by just one. You know, there's so many inspirational sayings and quotes. You know, I'm a big um, take yourself out of your comfort zone, embrace the suck sort yes. of guy. Uh, you were know? you
0: military or something?
1: Yeah, I was. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ex-military and in the United States Navy, four years. Um, but even in our organization, you know, we all seem to be, most of us seem to be really motivated by like David Goggins um, that's one, you know, kind of like an embrace the suck type of guy. Um, but for a mantra, you know, take yourself out of your comfort zone every day, seek both mental and physical exhaustion so you could be at peace with yourself but never satisfied. Yeah.
0: Get into that, get like embrace the suck. What, what, do you, what do you mean by that? What exactly is going on when you choose to embrace the
1: suck? You know, life is hard, and life is hard, your work is hard. Um, there's always going to be issues that arise, right? But how do you how do you how do you respond to those problems and those issues that come up? And do you embrace them, or do you you could either say, you know what, this is a stressful situation, but I'm going to accept it and I'm going to do the best I can with it and learn from it, or are you going to run from it? And I think that's what it's about. And it's also for me, it's a way of living. Now, I I read a book a few years ago by, I believe the author's name is Brett Gleason. He wrote the book, Embrace the Suck. He was an ex-United you know, States Navy, um, Navy SEAL, one of those motivational guys, you know. And it was kind of life-transforming for me because now I seek things that take me out of my comfort zone. Um, I seek things that or are challenging, you know. Instead of trying to take the easy way out or try to... Um, avoid a situation. Now I look for hard things to do, and it, it really all starts from if you're walking down the street and you see a piece of trash. Do you really want to pick up that piece of trash? Nobody wants to pick up. No, trash. but you do it, yeah. right? And then you're like that. Just little things like that. If you keep adding things every single day, I was in Lowe's hardware store a week ago, and there was this lady. Um, she was waiting. You could tell she was waiting for someone who works there to help her out unloading her her cart into her car. I got shit to do, right? I got stuff to do. I'm moving. I'm unloading my car, about to get in my my truck, and she's still waiting there. I said, are you waiting on anybody? She's like, yeah, I'm waiting on them to come out and and help me uh, unload this stuff and, and put it in my car. So I just did it, right? And one, it makes you feel like a better person, but it's something you don't necessarily want to do, but you know it's going to benefit her. Yes. It's going to benefit you yes. somehow. And it's like if you do those little things every single day, then when something big comes up, like a big life-changing moment, like how are you going to respond to COVID, right? right? How are you going to respond to whatever, um, you know, an illness or a death in your family? You know, If you practice those little things every single day, those big events that happen to you, more than likely you're going to respond better than the average person. Yes, man. I love this.
0: Two things come to my mind when I hear you talk about embrace the suck. One, I just recently had the author of the Practicing Mind on the show, Thomas Sterner, and that's essentially what his book is about. It's this whole idea of embracing the suck, or you are not your emotions. So when I hear of suck, I hear of like you know dread. Like I don't want to do that. Like anxiety of having to do the thing. The the just the, the. the, like you know all the things that boil up inside of you when there's a hard thing you have to do. And you put so much energy and wasted energy into avoiding that hard thing that if you just choose to embrace it and start, it's not as bad as you think it is. Yes. Just start. Just Absolutely embrace right. the suck. And the other thing that comes to my mind is this mindset of, oh man, what was it? Um, you were talking and it came to my mind. I already lost it. Oh, hopefully it will come back to me, but yeah. it, you know, it's just it 100% just embrace the suck. Mm-hmm. You know, I love that. Um, and maybe the other thing will come back to my mind, but, um, where does it make sense to start sharing your story? Like, like, like where do we, like, were you working in restaurants before? Oh yeah. Can yeah. My know, entire like- life, yeah. even as a
1: child, um, you know, my father was, in, was in the restaurant industry. My older sister, you know, took on the restaurant industry because of my family. Um, my father owned uh, quite a few restaurants in Chicago, Illinois. Um, and then I started working in restaurants in 1995. I was 15 years old. I, I used to work at a place in, in, in uh, South Side of Chicago called Lincoln Sandwiches. I was a dishwasher. Um, and then as I moved up uh, to North Side of Chicago, I, I started to work in uh, the Wrigleyville area. Uh, and there's lots of bars, taverns, bar and grills. So I started working in the back at house as, as a dishwasher. I was a line cook. I even checked IDs at one time as a doorman. And then I was a, a bar back. I was a server. I was a bartender. Um, I worked for Chili's as a kid too, as and, and when I was like 18 years old in downtown Chicago. Was um, this before the Navy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is all before the Navy. While I was still in high school, um, and you know, I I used to get out of high school. I used to walk two blocks down the street to a, a, a sports bar called Kincaid's in, in Lincoln Park, and and I was I was a bar back. Uh, you know, I would set up the bar and, and stuff like that, and bus tables. Um, you know, starting at 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon until like 11, 12 o'clock at night. So in
0: this, at this point in your career, is this like, do you know what you want to do with your life? Is this a for now thing that, until you figure out what you want to do? Or did you think you might want to do this for the rest of your life? You
1: know, since I had the experience of the restaurant industry as a young man, as a, as a, as a kid, I got really hooked on the cash. Mm. You know, it was fast cash. And I always had more money than... My classmates. <laughs> so you know, I I would always you know leave that my is ship. a benefit, yeah, that's a benefit. I'd always leave leave my ship with like a hundred bucks, two hundred bucks, three hundred bucks. Sometimes you know, like on the weekends and stuff like that. You know, I worked at really busy, busy restaurants and sports bars and, and bar and grills. Um, so I think that's what hooked me. So earlier on in my career, I did like the financial aspect of it. You know, because as a kid, you know, you're making you know six, seven hundred bucks cash a week. That's a lot for a high schooler. Um, so I think I, and then I also just liked the social aspect. I was around adults, you know, I wasn't of age yet, but it was, I just, it was just exciting to me. Yeah. Um, you know, and some of these restaurants would be packed, you know, yeah. they're lying down the street and getting in and, and, and whatnot. And, you know, and here I am, you know, uh, helping out the bartenders behind the bar with ice and, and refills of bottles and, and changing kegs and stuff like that. That was exciting to me. So I love that, man. Uh, and
0: I, I, I want to talk about your experience in the Navy, too. Yeah. I'm sure that. I mean, hindsight being 2020, like, I wish I went into the military. Some yeah. form. I'm not going to lie. I was a horrible student. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not joining the military. They're going to put me. I'm going to be a human shield. Yeah, like, I'm, they're gonna like. I am not gonna do anything that is gonna save my life in the military. Like, yeah, I just assumed that I was gonna knock, I was gonna be like a front line kind of guy. I was right, like, that's not for me. Yeah, uh, I was kind of a pussy, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. But like hindsight being twenty and twenty, I think it's so good. Yeah, for people. Um, Absolutely. So I, I mean, I'm sure there's some lessons there. I did think of the other point I wanted to make. Yeah, go into your opening quote, when you were talking about embrace the suck, it's this mindset that like I think you use the example of when you have to do something in hospitality and you know it's gonna suck. I always say your level of hospitality is based on the level of inconvenience if you feel for doing something yeah if something feels like it's going to be a huge inconvenience you're convenient like you're you're providing a a convenience to the guest Mm -hmm. the more of an inconvenience it is for you the more hospitable you're being it's a great way to gauge your level of hospitality so i love that i just wanted to add that on so yeah so um in the military like navy like why why the navy were you created what was going I, on i was a
1: lot like you and in the view of the military you know i i didn't necessarily want to be <laughs> the front be a Marine? line no no <laughs> well, i guess that is. I, I really wanted to to travel though yeah i wanted to travel and one of my best friends jeremy gibbs growing up he was in the navy and he lived in hawaii and you know i lived in chicago my entire life and you know he'd come back with these pictures and he lived in, you know he was stationed on pearl Harbor, and he would. Travel all over the Pacific and all over Australia and Asia, and I was like, "Oh man, that seems like a legit gig." And he's like, "Man, you should do it." And I was like, "All right." So I signed up for 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 uh, for for the Navy. Um, you know, passed the asvap and all that. And you know, when it went to go select my job, I asked, him, "I go, what do you think I should do?" He's like, "Man, he's like, you want to be in accounting?" I was like, "Really, accounting?" <laughs> I was like, the Navy has accounting? He was like, yep. He was like, man, you get your own office. It's air conditioned. It's really easy. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, starting to think about it. He's like, you like to work out all the time. You just work out on the ship, man. I was like, all right. So I went into accounting as a DK, dispersing clerk. So my job was um, the ship's payroll, every single payroll and their taxes that went through me paying every single bill that went through me, the ship's credit cards that went through me. Uh, if we had to spend money on any kind, those invoices and all that got filed through me. Um, uh, also loading all the ATM machines on the ship or the vending machines on the ship and collecting all the cash from the ship store in the vending machines, that all went through me. So inventory for the store or any type of supplies, that went through me. So that also falls into what I do today with operations. I was going
0: to say, this is totally applicable to yeah. the, the
1: restaurant industry. Like Just
0: cash flow management. Yes. Huge skill that is undervalued in this industry and gets a lot of of people in trouble. Yeah. A lot of people. And inventory in and, yeah. and ordering and all that. And you're yeah.
1: ordering on a massive amount with food and with uniforms and equipment, supplies. So yeah, so that that was my, my time in the military and I, I learned a lot about leadership. Like especially what? through boot camp. You know, my very first lesson was in boot camp. And I was always a bigger kid. I was always like into athletics and stuff like that as, as a kid. And, and when I went into, well, well, first off, let me take another step back. I also grew up a little bit in a boarding school as a child, as a very young child. Um, so I was kind of used to being away from home and traveling, right? Away for the holidays and stuff like that. And when you enter the military, sometimes you're around a lot of younger people who never been away from home, right? And they get really homesick. Yeah. And I was kind of, so I had that advantage. And when I went into boot camp, uh, like I said, I was, I was, I was a larger kid. <laughs> I was 19. And um, the very first day, we're up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and the drill instructor comes by, walks by me at least three times, up and down this really long hallway of exactly 96 people, I remember. my last name is Z, so I remember I was the last person. Um, I was number 96. And he finally stops in front of me and says, Goddamn, son, you got one hell of a chest on you, and I didn't know what to say. And I was like, <laughs> thank you, drill sergeant. And he's like, I want you to go on down there and, and about face or whatever, and I ran down there, and I, I faced the class, and everyone turned towards me, and he said, this is your mother for the next 10 weeks. He's going to tell you when you shit, shave, take a shower, when you eat, and I was like, this is all new to me, right? <laughs> so this went on for about um, the first four, four weeks, I would say, I was always last for everything. I was last for the showers because I had to make sure everyone else got a shower. And I was on time, right? So I got the coldest showers. I got the scraps of the food. I was the first one to get up in the morning, and I was the last one to go to sleep, right? And it really took a toll on me. And you ever catch that book from Simon Sinek? Leaders oh, Eat Le- Last? Leaders, yes, I've you're read like, it. This yes. is very applicable. It, it, it really is. <laughs> Sorry to cut you. Should nope, nope, going? you're fine. And I was super stressed after week four, whatever. And I, I went to my drill instructor, uh, Officer Wright was his name. And I said, Officer Wright, I said, I explained all this, I go, why why am I doing this? What's what's the benefit of doing this if I'm getting last of everything? And, and and it's super hard, and what's the rewarding part of it? And um, he says, Zila, you are no one and nothing without your team. Your team always comes first. Your role is to support your team. As long as your team is successful, you are successful. And that was my very first lesson, and I end up graduating um, boot camp and top of my class because of that, and because of that role. Do you and
0: know why he chose you? Is it because you had the biggest bosom to be the mother? I think so. Okay. I think I was so. Like, I was like, you know, is that just me making that connection? Or yeah, I think okay. so. So I benefited from that for sure. Was it because like they ch- choose somebody who's maybe physically like imposing? So yeah, okay. I th-
1: I think so. Probably, you know, it's probably hard to, <laughs> to take orders from someone in boot camp if they can't run and do push ups and yeah. stuff like that, and they're really struggling. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense. When you were saying you
0: were the bigger kid, I was like, was he, because you're a big dude. How tall are you? Six, six foot even. Six foot even. Yeah.
1: You're barrel chested. Yeah.
0: You're a big guy, you know? And, was,
1: and then I was like 220 pounds. So I was wondering, and, so were
0: you overweight
1: big? No, no, okay. no, no. Yeah. I was, I was heavily so into like, just... bodybuilding and stuff like that as a kid, as so a child. Okay. So my, okay. my, my, my father actually was. Um, he, owned, he owned gyms as well as restaurants, so I, I get really got into working out at a young age. So he he owned a um, uh, uh, a gym in Chicago called Chicago Health Club, and that was a big big uh, like type of franchise um, uh, gym. And then he also owned a, a really really famous uh, powerlifting gym in Chicago called Quads Gym. Oh, okay, yeah. So if anyone else out, out there is familiar with with the Chicagoland area and, and powerlifting, they most definitely know Quads Gym on the north side and south side. So, anyways, he started that um so uh, th- that was a reason <laughs> anyway thank you for embracing my tangent. i just want I was curious about
0: what he actually meant uh, yeah. but the moral of the story is you know like when you like you this helped him in, in, in like be, help you become a leader, you know, going yeah. through and making sure that everyone else was doing their job. It set you up for success in yes. life. And I think, again, back to my point, like I think the military is a, is a great path for people, mm-hmm. um, especially if they're not, if they don't have those foundational skills of discipline, you know? For sure. Um, how else did it serve you? Any other... Th- lessons to, to, to pull from your experience before we move on? I mean, we Obviously talked about the accounting. Being organized, showing,
1: yeah. lot, being on time, That was hu- that's huge. You know, you got to be 15 minutes early oh, everywhere. I made you wait 15 minutes. We went long yes. with Chris, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's fine. You know, it's funny too with Chris. You know, he, he tends to go over and, you know, we always always bust his chops and, and I'm always like, that was ice. totally on me for the yeah. record. No, I'll, take the, I'll take the bullet for that one. Cause yeah. he was giving gold, man.
0: And yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. More time. He's, he's got a lot to say. Yeah, he's got yeah. so
1: much great experience, yeah. man. We're so lucky to have him. And, and uh, yeah, he's got a lot, a lot of good stuff to say.
0: So you get out of the military. Yeah.
1: You do your four years. Did yep, you say Four years. Yeah. Four
0: years. What was, what was this, the plan after that? You're out in 2003.
1: Yeah. So um, I went back into the bar business. My sister um, and my brother-in-law, they both own uh, a couple of restaurants and bar and girls in Chicago and I went to go work work for them um, as a bartender. And I got right back into industry. Um, and then I opened up my own restaurant. Uh, actually, I worked for another, another organization um, for, for a man named Dan Latino, who owns several bar and restaurants in Chicago. Um, and I, I did a brief stint with him and, uh, I had the opportunity of buying one of his restaurants on the North side of Chicago. And at the time it called Bowman's Bar and Grill. Um, and that's where I really cut my, my teeth as, as, as an owner and operator. So you, you get out
0: in the military two years, you go to work for your family in yep. their restaurants. Um, and then within two years, you're, you're, you're is it, was it turnkey? Like what was the, the situation? Yeah, it was
1: pretty much turnkey. Um, and it already had the name and stuff like that, and but I, I worked for him, so I actually helped open up this restaurant and actually do the construction and all oh, of it. Wow. So I was very attached to it already.
0: So what was his reason for getting out? Like was it, so uh,
1: so yeah. he bought a, a more expensive and bigger uh, bar and grill in Wrigleyville called um, I forgot what the name is. It called and today it's called the Country Country Club, a country bar and grill. Um, and he still owns it, but at the time it was a different name. Oh, it's called Rebel, Rebel Barn Grill. Um, and he just needed to, to to get rid of one location, I guess, to free up some some cash, right? Some money for that one because it was a really big investment. So he said, hey, if you want this, it's all yours. And uh, yeah, I, I had a friend who um, is a very, uh, was, was an investor with me and, and we both went in, but he was more of a silent investor. And I took and and I opened, this bar was exactly three blocks away from my my sister's bar, so it was good. It was, we, were, we were neighbors, um, yeah. So I did that for five years. Five years. Why just five years? You know, I it was during the financial crisis during two thousand eight. I'm glad I I went through that experience, but it was super stressful. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about the value of a dollar in the restaurant, um, in industry. When I first got in, I really thought you know. You buy a Bud Light at the time, a bottle, I think was 88 cents, and you sell it for four bucks and you're a millionaire. (laughs) And and that's just not the case, you know? So I, I really got to learn a lot about. Where bills. The cash goes. Yes. Yeah. I got my first electric bill, and I called Dan Latino. I go, is this accurate? Is this right, man? He's like, that's right. It's a like, lot of
0: refrigerators. Wow.
1: <laughs> I was, and he was like, just wait till the gas in the winter. I was like, shit. So, um, yeah, so I, I got a lot of knowledge of that. It was just really super stressful. Yeah, And I think the stress got to me at the time. I was a young man. Uh, when I first got it, or took over that, that restaurant. How and, old and were you, 23? Tw- 24. 24. When you opened your first yeah. restaurant? Wow. Yep, yep. So, yeah, so I learned a lot, and I don't regret it. At the time, it was super stressful, and I ended up selling it. And uh, my now, at the time, my girlfriend today, my wife, um, she's from Columbus, Ohio, or not Columbus, Ohio, but just north of here, Ohio. So we come here a lot to see friends, family, uh, vacation, and whatnot. And um, I'm a city boy. I mean, I, I grew up in the heart, yeah, yeah. heart of Chicago my entire life. And I, I lived in, uh, in, oh, I was stationed also stationed in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, uh, so I got that experience with my best friend, which is super oh, rare because cool. not a lot of people get stationed in Pearl Harbor because it's such a small, and small with their base. Best friend. What's that? And with their best friend. Yes. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. He was on a different ship, though, but we were still on the same base. So that was really beneficial. Um, so back to your story with like the evolution. and
0: I mean, I do like to talk... And it's weird. I usually give my, my guests a warning like I like to talk about weird things. Yeah. not traditional stuff. Our target yes. market is people like you back in 19 or 2003 when you're opening your first restaurant up to somebody scaling beyond five locations. And a lot of I mean a lot of what you need to be successful in this industry, we got to talk about cash. We got to talk about relationships. And like yeah. how to manage cash and relationships. So you I'm assuming you had some money put aside from the military. Uh, I mean, you know, you're an accountant working in the military. I, I'm, I'm making the assumption that you had good you know, cash flow practice.
1: No. No? My, <laughs> my, my, my father passed away and left me a little bit of cash. Okay. And I was able to make an investment there. Nice. And, and you also went to for. outside investment. Yep. Yep. So if you had your own
0: money, why go to outside investment?
1: Um. Well, it was a big investment. Okay. And I yeah, I I inherited a little bit of money, yeah. not not enough to make me a millionaire or Got like it. that, you know. So I just I literally took every single penny of that and I just put that right into the bar. So you worked in restaurants yeah. before
0: this, but you didn't really have restaurant experience as an owner or manager, did you? No. No so well how did well, you sell
1: yourself? Kind of as a manager, yeah. You know, I was always like, um, okay. <clears throat> in Chicago, if you don't work for a chain restaurant, you work more for mom and pop's or family places they don't have like you're the assistant manager you're the AGM you're the GM you know and sometimes it's hey you know you, you're you're the bartender and here's a key and you know you're also managing the shift and you know it's there's a little there's no bit. such
0: thing as that's not my job and then yes. <laughs> yeah especially
1: for for you know smaller or- yeah, we just get it done yeah. yeah now you know you work for bigger organizations You know, if you're a salary technically, you're not allowed to do hourly. You know, it's against the law. Um, uh, Hourly hourly shifts uh, responsibilities and duties. So you know, um, so I I was always used to great customer service, uh, managing a shift and labor, right, and stuff like that. And I learned a lot from my brother-in-law for sure about inventory, about ordering pars, um, about any. Legal type of issues, HR issues, and, and if there's terminations or um, rehires and hires and stuff like that, I learned a lot of that from him. Um, so I, I did learn a lot just from my family in general, just growing up in a restaurant business. Yeah, cool. Um,
0: so this, this is a silent partner. Do you have a, a, a partnership agreement? Any lessons there? Or, I mean, how much did you need to, to, to execute this in your mind? Did you have enough cash put aside? For it, my own restaurant, yeah. yes. Oh right, yeah, yeah, cool, cool.
1: Cool. yeah. yeah. Um,
0: what were the biggest lessons over that five years? Like, what were you, what were your biggest challenges as a, an owner? I mean, you talked about the the amount of just expense that you, you weren't projecting.
1: Yeah. Any other big challenges? You know, I'll be quite honest with you. I had a huge gambling problem okay. at the time, and I think that's one of the reasons why it was so stressful. Well, one, the restaurant business is just stressful, you know. And then I, I discovered a gambling problem earlier in my my my, my life with sports betting. And that's where a lot of my cash went, you know, and that's one of the reasons why I lost that business. But now I look back at it and if I didn't lose that business, I probably would never came to Columbus, Ohio. Mm. Um, I would have never found Condado. Right. And this is like a life changing uh, organization to work for and what's done for me. So, you know, uh, again, braces suck. Right. And and it is what it is. and, And, you know, it was an addiction. It's an it's a addiction that I'm well aware of. And now I'm just all about helping people, especially people in the industry now. But that was one of the reasons why I lost it, to be quite honest. With so you. is it just the thrill of like the, the excitement, the
0: the endorphins that you get of knowing you might win big? Is that the, the thing for you? Absolutely. Yeah. So if somebody's listening to this, and they competition have an too wise. Yeah. Yeah. So like, how did you overcome that?
1: Oh man, you got you got to accept it, right? You got to admit to yourself and others that you know you have a gambling addiction. Uh, you're a compulsive gambler. You got to go to meetings, you know, and it's also helpful. Like me, I love helping others, you know, so I I, I, I host and I also attend a Monday GA meeting, you know, that's really beneficial for me and, and others. So, that's, you know, just talking about it and being open about it. Like even here and, and you know, I'm COO and everyone knows about it. And I put it out there because, hey, if you have an issue, an addiction issue, come to me.
0: Yeah. Being you know? vulnerable encourages other people to be vulnerable. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. You know, hey, this is my problem. I realize it. This is what I dealt with. And it was a bitch to deal yeah. with, man. And uh, I, I just want to help other other people out.
0: That's one thing I've never gotten into is gambling. And yeah. I, I like to say it's because I have discipline and values, but it's really because I never had money to gamble. I'm being completely honest, but I'm kind yeah. of happy because I know that I'd love it. You know? Yeah, I, mean, I have an addictive personality for sure.
1: Well, I will tell you, you gotta look at the positives and everything. And yes, anyone who Silver has a gambling addiction is is it's depressing. It's a depressing situation. It's sad, right? Depending on the severity of it. Um, but I could tell you, it. I am so resilient now to stress. Um, there's nothing like having shit ton of money on a game that you don't have the money to back it up. <laughs> and you know, that unfortunately that's happened a lot in, in my earlier life, you know, over t- 12 years ago now. Um, and those are some super stressful times, man. Now today I got to tell you, I could handle any type yeah. of stress yeah. and that's one benefit from it. I'm going to push the envelope
0: here. Yeah. I
1: hope that, you know, cause
0: I feel that you're, you're willing to be vulnerable. How bad was it? Like what, what, what made you get to the point where you had to give up your business? Paint oh, man, I have, no oh. I have no more money. I had no more money. I couldn't,
1: you know, when you, when you don't have um, money to, 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 to spend on payroll and, and your taxes and all that, and you hit rock bottom and you're super depressed and you're down in the dumps. And, yeah, how
0: did that make you feel? Oh, awful.
1: Terrible, terrible. Um, but, you know, again, my, my wife today was my girlfriend at the time. Really, I, I owe everything to her, man. She, she really was, uh, and my sister, you know, my family uh, helped me get through it. Um, what was the tipping point for you? the tipping point you know um in your recovery in my recovery yeah from gambling like, what was it like
0: that was like this is the tipping point no more like moving oh forward.
1: contemplating suicide oh man yeah because you know when you're when you're down that much and you lost everything and you know you ruin relationships um and you got no money and everything you work for is gone and you know i would think about like man you know, my father would be really upset with me. He'd be really disappointed in me. You know, my family's disappointed. My sister's disappointed in me. My my girlfriend at the time left That's me horrible. briefly. Yeah. Uh, I lost my 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 you know I, my my girlfriend left me. I came home one day. All I had was my dog, my couch, and my TV. <laughs> and that that and I just broke down. I was like, I gotta stop this. And that was my that was my rock bottom. I gotta tell you, I'm so happy I experienced that because it it really has made me a such stronger person. And they
0: say the people that that have addiction, they really have to reach rock bottom, yes, to to get to that point of like I have no other option but to stop this thing, to like come to terms with the cause. Yes,
1: absolutely. You know, and we get a little bit more into like with condado. You know, and um, by the time I found condado, I was about three years uh, sober from gambling. You know, that was my last bet. It was three years prior. And getting into Condado, and it was such a, a huge, um, job to do, uh, that helped me with my recovery, mm, you know, just being you. active. Yes. Yeah. And having another purpose, yeah. you
0: know. What happened in three
1: years between Condado and selling your restaurant? So I, I moved to Columbus, Ohio with, with, with my, my with my wife and, um, I was really just trying to find myself. You know, I I went to go work for a couple big box chains that, you know, I don't really care to say the name. (laughs) Uh, Cheesy. Uh, Just, you know, all-American cheesy, cheesy chains. And I just, it wasn't for me, you know. And I have tattoos, you know. I had to cover up my tattoos, you know. I couldn't be myself, you know. And it was just a totally different culture and way of doing the restaurant business here with these big chains compared to Chicago right. and the smaller the um, smaller mom and pop shops and stuff like that. Um, so I was really just trying to find myself. And I up, I was like, you know what, maybe, maybe restaurant management just isn't for me. And I went back to bartending and I bartended a place here locally called Matt Miller's, a great place, great, great organization. And I was just bartending there three days a week and loving life. I was just... Focusing on me and I was working out a lot and, you know, my wife had her career. She was doing great and killing it. Um, and I was like, you know what? I just want to kind of break up the monotony, maybe work somewhere else like one day a week. And I kept driving by um, Condado and it was like opening soon. And it was, I, I had the same path on high street to get to my house. This is number one. Yeah. the, first this is the very first one. Yeah. And... I was like, oh, you know what? It's in the short north. And am I went, my working somewhere in the short north, too, in addition to, to, the, to the other place? And so I, I almost, like, go in, and I didn't, and I just kept driving, right? Finally, two weeks passed by. The sign's still up, and um, I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll pull over and go in. Walked in. No one was in there. Um, and uh, the door was open, though, by the way. And it, it looked like it was, had a really long time. And I, I knew a lot about, uh, a, little, a little bit at least, about remodeling, construction, open up restaurants and stuff like that. I did it for my family, I did it for uh, uh, the other restaurant group in Chicago. And I looked around, it's like, no way this place is going to be open anytime soon. So I just left. You know, a couple more weeks go by, and even it's, an ad pops up, even on Craigslist and stuff like that. And um, I walked back in, and uh you know, I see artists now on, on, on the walls and stuff like that. And our founder, Joe Kahn, was in there. And I introduced myself. I gave him a resume. And I said, hey, um, I'm looking to bartend. Maybe only one day a week, man. So I get it if you can't hire me. I totally understand. Uh, and he took a look at my resume. He said, it's one hell of a resume. You can have whatever day you want. And that's where it started. <laughs> and I was like, great. And uh, so he goes, I'll be open in two weeks. And I, I looked around and I said, I don't know, man, uh, two weeks, huh? I was like, all right, well, good luck. And he's like, yeah, and this is when we plan on doing orientation and stuff like that. And two weeks came, there's no way, you know, and, and we ended up opening up exactly like 30 days later. Um, and we had orientation and, um, and therefore, that's why I say I was the very first employee actually hired. Actually hired. Because I actually gave that man my, my resume uh, a month before we even opened. Um, You're like, who am I working with? And he's like, I don't know yet. <laughs> right, <laughs> me. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, that's, that's where it started with Condado. I, I started off as a bartender. Uh, and that was a transition. Um, so, within those three years.
0: Now... When you were working here, you're just thinking to yourself: these, these early days, like I'm just going to pick up one day a week. And that was it. it. So what? What was the first couple of days like? Get into like the the early days, like and what it was like to be a fly on the wall. For, I mean, you were more than a fly on the wall. Yeah, you're a part of the team. But like, paint that picture of what so, it was like.
1: So before I, I get into this, I just need to stress: like Joe Kahn, our founder, he is a creator, man. He's great at vision and and coming up with ideas and creating a concept and recipes. He's got great palate. Um, but, you know, operations and, and putting things together uh, isn't necessarily a strong suit. He could do it, but it's not his strong suit. So I can just, totally relate. I think a lot of people listening to this podcast are dreamers. Yeah. And they can totally yeah, relate. and we need
0: them. And be self-aware and throw your ego aside and be willing to admit that you're not good. Do what Joe did. Yes. Get out of your own way. Yeah. Stay in your
1: lane, man. Do yeah. yourself some favors. I, lear- I learned a few things from that man. That was definitely one of them. And... Um, so yeah, so it, the very first days were pretty brutal. You know, I would go home to my wife and be like, "I give this place six months," you know, because it just wasn't organized. You know, like we were filling out our our social security numbers when he run out of W twos, we fill them out on napkins, bar <laughs> napkins. You know, like it, I'm I'm serious. Oh, man. And I was like, "Man, that's not as that's, an accountant, you must be yeah, yeah, yeah." I'm like, "That's that's not that's not that's not accurate. You can't do that. It's illegal." Um, and, you know, it was just, it just wasn't, There was no training really, like train materials. You know, there was people there to kind of show you what to do, but it, it was kind of like pieced together, you know? Um, so it, was, it wasn't very organized basically. Um, so I, I worked as a bartender for the first five to six months and <clears throat> I really got to, to know Joe and, you know, he would confide in me, like whatever type of operational issues he would have. And you know, he even called me up like, Hey, what would you do here? You know, I got this problem, you know, what would you do? Blah, blah, blah. Or I come in one day a week. Um and, and I would you know, so I had a fresh set of eyes you know and we had some issues going on there in the early days with, with theft and stuff like that and people fucking off and tr- just trying to take advantage of jokes he's such a nice guy he's such a nice man he really cares about people but we had people take advantage of him um, so so yeah so you know he you know the restaurant was doing okay and and, and uh, you know he goes I really need a director of operations um, is this something you'd be interested in and I knew it was such a huge is going to be such a huge task because I knew exactly what you had to do. You had to make everything really organized. We had to make sure we were buttoned up in the kitchen with just cleanliness and standards and uh, safety standards, health code standards, stuff like that. And, um, you know, we weren't really like, you know, that wasn't a focus. So i just going to tell you that. Um, so I thought about it for a while and I even put together like a business plan Uh, with him and said this is my plan of attack and this is what I would change and and, and this is what I want to do and just to make sure we were both on the same page and uh, he loved it and I went to go work right away. Yeah I was
0: going to say because it looked like he started working there in 2014 and I was like director of I was like how did he go from bartender once a week yeah, to director of operations in the same year. What's going on here? Yeah,
1: but you know, I knew the staff and 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 everyone, and and they were they they were like, oh, this makes sense, you know, because I was already like coaching people, and I'd pick up a shift here or there. So sometimes I'd be there three days a week or two days a week, you know. So, so I really start to love it.
0: So you had three nights a week at this other location. Yeah, you picked up a third, a fourth night a week working at uh, yeah. Condado, um,
1: and Saturdays. Saturdays, Saturday nights,
0: um, and did you eventually walk, leave your other job altogether? Like how yeah. did that, how did that swing
1: happen? I did. So I, I mean, so like, I still live, I still worked there and I, you know, I, I said, Hey, I'm going to take this, this, this position with, with there and they're really happy for me. And I'm still friends with that. Those guys. Yeah. Uh, or to this day. Um, but yeah, it was exciting to me because I knew Joe would give me the freedom to make the changes that the restaurant needed. That yeah. The location. He
0: knew needed. his lane. He knew he needed help. Yeah. And he got out of your way. Yep. Um, So, you said you started with standards. Yeah. What's that process of having no standards to the point where you're writing social security numbers on applicants to a standardized operation? How did you tackle it? What did that look like?
1: It wasn't easy because, you know, you really have to change a culture. How'd
0: you prioritize things?
1: Lots of communication and meetings and just letting everyone know what the new standards are.
0: How do you change the culture so people accept your standards?
1: Well... You just have to have rules, right? You got to have rules, and you got to you got to live by them, and you got to hold people accountable.
0: You're you're the mom. You're the that's your mother all over again. Yep, it really (laughs) is.
1: And uh, you know, thankfully, you know, you know, every every location, every restaurant's got some bad apples and and whatnot, you know. And so we got rid of the bad apples. But man, we had a really good foundation of people that really cared about Joe and really cared about the restaurant. What was it about Joe that made people care for him? (laughs) You know, I'll tell you a story. You know about Joe. When I first took over this position, remember, I come from Chicago, small mom and pop shop type of play run businesses, right? You know, some companies that only have like three or four locations, you know, and we're always, you know, talking about labor and what we're spending money on labor and what we're paying people, right? And even my own business that I owned, right? I was always like, if I don't have to pay someone $12, I could pay them $10 an hour. Why not? Right. So when I took over this position, I found out Joe was at the time paying people $15 an hour. And this is in 2014. And I said, you know, the going rate is $11, $12 an hour. And he was like, I don't care. I want to make sure I pay people good enough where they don't want to leave. And that was really eye-opening to me. Um, And it took me a second to get on board with that. So he goes, I don't want to retrain people. Yeah. I don't want them to leave. And I don't want a revolving door of people. And I want people to feel great about where they work. Yeah. So in 30 days, as long as they show up on time and they, they give a fuck, I want to give them $16 an hour. Yeah. You know, you
0: bring something up, and this is a controversial. I think that they should do away with minimum wage. Yeah. You know why I think they should do away with yeah. minimum wage? Because I think it gives restaurant owners permission to pay people shit. And they say, right. this is minimum wage. Let the market decide. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. You know, like it, it's like, it, and that's why we need to encourage people to talk and communicate. So yeah. they, and not just owners. And I love, I want to give um, uh, uh, saying uh, a shout out right now from service. I don't know if you know who saying is. She was at, she had the bodega. Oh, okay. Uh, and then she had the table and now she's launching the uh, service with an exclamation mark. And it's all about empowering restaurant employees and educating restaurant employees so they know when they're getting screwed. So they, the industry, the market will keep owners honest. But when you say this is minimum wage, it's a it's a stamp of approval to be a dick, in my opinion. Yeah. Just, what's her name? Uh, Sang. Sang. I would you know, love to make an introduction.
1: Yeah, please do. Because um, you said Bodega. And there's a place I frequent near my house called the Worthington Tavern. And they own Bodega.
0: Okay. I think she sold it to them.
1: Okay. Yep. Gotcha. She, she opened it. Um, it was like a very
0: popular uh, brewery, um, like a like a craft brewery back. I think think she opened in 2005. So it was just when that craft brewery craze started. I think it was called pint house at the time. Right. I don't know. I think she started it as she had, she was a part of a pizza place. I could probably go to her show notes. Uh, She, she opened up a, she, her, her, her husband had a pizza place. Yeah. She was a partner in the pizza place. They ended up divorcing. Divorcing. She went her own way. Opened a bodega. Maybe it was called Pine House at some point. Okay, that didn't come out of the story. Uh, and then she ended up selling it to focus on the table, which is a more farm to, yeah. to, to table approach. And then the, being such a you know a, such an, a, a business that focused on relationships with farmers and really slow food and and training people and she was taking people off the streets and teaching them culinary basically. So that type of heavy lifting wasn't you know th- those types of concepts didn't. Farewell with the, the mm-hmm. pandemic, you know, unfortunately. So, but when when she chose to go her own way um, with the table, she started. Um, she wanted to go along this line of really just existing to help people and to to serve the industry. So she started a service where she takes people who have been formerly incarcerated and people. She's just trying to break the cycle of mm-hmm. like you get these people who who were in jail and they never were given skills and the jail never gave them skills. Mm -hmm. How do you you break the cycle? Right. So that's what she's trying to do. It's really great work. That's super interesting. I'm trying to give her a platform. we, we,
1: We go to this place called Warrington Tavern and I was told that the same owners as Bodega today and you could just tell the great culture in there. Yeah. So shout out to and Tamra. <laughs> yeah,
0: and that, that was her strong suit is the culture, taking care of people. Um, yeah.
1: I think, I think this industry attracts a lot of people like that. But
0: back to your point, uh, all the Joes of the world, right? Yes. And that's why I think it's so important to have your rocket fuel. You're the rocket fuel. If yes. you're talking, I don't know if you're familiar with traction. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you are rocket fuel. That's yeah. that's what you do. You take it to the next level, and every Joe needs their. There, um, you know, he surrounds himself with the Chris's and, and the Johnnies of the world.
1: You know? Yeah, you know, he had a really interesting philosophy. He was like, "I'm going to start them off at fifteen dollars an hour, and then thirty days, as long as they show up to work on time, and I'm going to pay them sixteen dollars. Yes. In another thirty days, wow. I'll pay them And This yeah. is 2013, 2014, um, and I was like blown away. I was like, "Man, I, it seems like it might be a little bit overkill, right?" And but you know what? I look back at yeah, it was one of the greatest things we ever did because. It was eight, we'd never had a revolving door of people. Of course, you know, you go through people, right? And people, some people don't work out, but people appreciate that job. Yeah. How much money do you spend on training? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that was eye opening to me, right? And, and it still is to this day. Um, and what's interesting, you know, even after the first condado, we would go like we went to Pittsburgh and we started that same, same, same theory, the same setup, right? $15, 16 $17 an hour or even $18 an hour. All of our neighbors around us were like, what are you doing? Like, we pay 10 We pay $11 an hour. Why, why are you paying so much? Our people are leaving to go work for you. And we're like, it's just how we do it. You know, maybe transforming the industry so we can yeah. transform the world, baby? Right, right. Yeah. And now today, you know, we're well over $20 an hour. I love you know, that, man. So, yeah. Um,
0: so back to standards. I, I really want to kind of break down how you chose to approach standardizing and shifting the culture to accepting yeah. the standards. I think that's where we left off, is how do you shift the culture? Yeah. Um, did you close, did you round off that thought?
1: You know, you, you have to live it. You have to live the culture, whatever the culture you want, whatever the standards you want, as a leader and as a manager. One, you got to live it. And two, you got to hold people accountable. And you got to constantly communicate it if you really want it to change. Um, if you just say it, and if it's just a saying on, on on the wall or whatnot, you know, it's fake. It's phony. People aren't going to buy in. You know, so. And these weren't crazy things. It was like, you know, making sure that, you know, we had a par system. We were rotating food and we we're making fresh food every single day. And we had, make them in big batches and you show up on time, right? And if you don't show up on time, you're going to get a write-up. And you can't just call off without no no reason, no excuse. We can't hear from you. Stuff like that. Just like your basics, right? Um, and, you know, people want to be held accountable. They want rules. They want a system that they need to follow. It can't just be a bunch of gray area and like, eh, I guess I show up whenever I want. Or I'm late again. Who cares? Um, so once we once we, once we we set those standards in place and we just constantly, you know, we held people accountable, things started to really change, you know? And then on top of it, we we're paying people great. You know, it's like people bought into this culture. And then we got really busy, man. We were jam-packed. Can you
0: go deeper, more granular on how to hold people accountable? So you come through, through yeah. you know, like there's start, this restaurant starts with the chaos. I think people, employees love chaos because there's sure. no expectation. Like, sweet. There's some truth to that, but I think also people want to know when they're doing the job right. Yes, like and, they, and I think that gives them a lot of like sense of security of like I'm doing a good job. Yeah, like, people want to know they're doing a good job. How how did you like back to how do you do this? Um, can you get like specifically? Like, this is like these are things that we can recreate in our business to, to hold people accountable and to become a standards organized
1: business. That's interesting. I mean, you go a lot of different ways here. You know, I think seeking to understand is one thing that I learned in my career over the last eight, nine years. <clears throat> and that's understanding why people make the certain decisions or moves that they do, right? And not try, and you know, we're all judgmental, you know, and it's hard not to be judgmental. But when someone messes up or makes a mistake, you know, you kind of try to put yourself in their shoes and say, well, why did they make that mistake? And why do they make that decision? You know, even if it's someone who comes to work late all the time if you just take the time and sit down with them and say man you're late all the time you want to know why this affects the business and also your coworkers around you when you break it down like that and then you say why are you so late all the time you know and then you try to help them out with being late if they are waking up earlier or catching the bus earlier or whatever it is and just trying to understand where they're coming from it goes a long way and then and, and, and with that it changes the culture right yeah. how does it change a culture um, how does it change a culture how does yeah how does doing what you
0: just explained that whole process of first seeking to understand yeah change the
1: culture Well, one I think it shows that you care about people yes. right and, and that's what it's all about you know, especially in this organization and we've gotten better over time you know back in the day at first I was very militant right very direct very brash you know I'm still brash this day but you know it's something I'm working on uh, on a daily basis but You know, um, being, you know, back in the day, you know, it was like, Hey, we got 80 other resumes, you know, if you don't want to do it and here's our standards, here's our rules, then, you know, someone else will. Right. And that's something that we've, and I have gotten a lot better at, you know, and it's like, no one wants to work for that. You know, no one wants to work for a guy like that or a person like that. So that's something I've learned in my, in my, my history. Um, and just caring about people. And and here's the thing. Over the last few years, especially in the operations department of Condado, we're not just about what your financials look like in your region or your store. You know, what's labor look like? Beverage costs look like turnover. What are your reviews, right? But it's also about now, what are your goals for the year? And how can we help you as a group and as a company create your goals or, or you, 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 you uh, achieve your goals, right? And that's something that... We started at the operations level with the RMs, my, my regional managers, and then it went down to my assistant regional managers. Now it went down to the GMs now, and that's like a, a big cultural shift in our company. When now. did this start happening? About two and a half, three years
0: ago. Two and a half, three years yeah. ago. So, um, I mean, still like, relatively in the life of condados, like recent because yes. you're almost at 10 years right now yeah right yeah, well we're at nine yeah nine, nine. almost yeah like nine almost this a, month right so
1: i think you know <laughs> I, I why don't people do this sooner do you think i think it's just you know i think social media and 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 now you have all these influencers and and people who are like motivational speakers now they're really starting to to talk about it you know and talk about what specifically goals okay you know achieving your goals Kicking life's ass, having a strategy. Yeah. You know, and also even in the work environment, it's not just like what I just said, you know, it's not like all about your financials. Not everything should be about what you can do for the company, but also what can a company do for you? How can you become a better person by working here? You know, and I I would say over the last six years, we always, I at least always had a saying is where not everyone who's going to work for Condado is going to retire with Condado. And that's just reality, right? But I'm hoping that you could look back in your restaurant career or your just you know your life and say, "Man, I got so much out of that company right and then I started to transform my life about five years ago, right and there was like motivational speaking I was listening to and like the David Goggins of the worlds and stuff like that. I got into running, I was really heavy, I was about like three hundred pounds and because um, I was just working working and eating like shit right and then I was like my had bad energy and I was like, I got to change something right and then um I got into, like, David Goggins and Can't Hurt Me, uh, that book, and, and, and I started working out, and then I started to transform my life, and then I started to read other books, like Embrace the Suck, and I started to challenge myself and doing all these crazy, crazy things, like running 45 miles and stuff like that. Wow. And then my team saw that. And they're like, what are you doing? And then we start talking about goals, right? And like, how do you – everyone knows how to set a goal, but do they know how to achieve a goal and to stay motivated and focused in, in, on that goal, right? So then we started, as a group, you know, we start to read and 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 you know, listen to YouTube videos, yes, and stuff dude. like that. You I know, love this.
0: You, if you got to expand the circle, and yeah, the circle starts from you. Yeah, and this is one of the reasons when we were about to relaunch Restaurant Stoppable Network, and we're getting way more intentional with our. Well, we're going to basically organize all the content, and we're going to put it in different buckets. One of those buckets, I'm dead set on like, you can't be a successful restaurant tour unless you work on you. It all yes. hinges on you. You have to lift yourself up. You have to because if you, how do you lift other people up? You don't push them up. It's easier to lift somebody up than it is to push them up. Mm-hmm. You know. So you got to lift yourself up. You got to get that to that point of leverage and, and work on you. Yeah. And until nobody will ever grow beyond you. Yes, you know, like you have to be able to lift them up, man. And so Preach thank you, it, for man. Being, yeah, yeah, I yeah. love talking this stuff. I love yeah. it. Yeah, I it's love it. It's Huge. It, like that was one of the biggest and, lessons I've learned. Is like you got to work on you.
1: Behind every great restaurant is a great person. How, how you gonna tell others what to do if you're a mess? Yeah, right. How you gonna be a leader in any field, in anywhere, in anything you do? A successful leader, yeah. and You're a mess, yeah, right, yeah. And that's what I learned, you so, know. And you got, you got, you got to be a great example. Yeah, that's it.
0: So we 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 got down this path on this idea of like like you know. Uh, like three or four, three, I think so. it was like three years ago we started like building systems around communication. I, again, uh, I want to start teaching, uh, or at least creating awareness around EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system, which is taught in the, the Traction. Would uh, you know Wickman's traction? Yeah. and the EOS is the operational operational yeah. operating system. Within that system, there is a process for communication that has like, your you know what is your ten year goal, what is your five year goal, uh, what is the one year goal, and what are the, the quarterly goals and the the quarterly rocks to get us towards that ten year goal. Yes, and like you need to bake this stuff into your meetings so that you're constantly working towards, and it for, it creates a system for growth. Yes. A system for communication and communicating growth and making sure everybody is getting the message at least weekly, and that's how you—that's how you create massive change.
1: I'm going to tell you a story about our early days, and you know, with my experience from Chicago, you had a, you had a very successful restaurant if you were doing hundred thousand dollars a week in sales. That was like top of the tier in two thousand and thirteen. Hundred dollars a week in sales. Hundred thousand. Okay, I was gonna say. Yeah, yeah. Hundred thousand okay. dollars a week in sales. If you're doing that as a restaurant concept, you're doing it. Yeah. You know, like that's successful. That was a successful number. And when I first took over this uh, this position as director of operations, we were doing it somewhere around twenty five to thirty, thirty two thousand dollars a week. And I would communicate to the team. I go, guys, we want. How 100- many
0: weeks in was that when you took over?
1: Uh, it was six months in. Okay. Yeah. Um, six to seven months, six Got and a half, seven months. And I would communicate that to the rest of the managers, even, even the servers and the bartenders and say, we want a hundred thousand dollars a week. And everyone would like, what? We're not going to do that. Doing tacos. Right. And margaritas like hundred thousand dollars. Like, look at this place. We're, we have 130 seats in here. I'm like, it could be done. I'm telling you it could be done. And I go, our first goal is $40,000 a week. One percent better every day. Yeah, yeah, and and we would hit forty thousand dollars, and everyone would get you know at the time, everyone gets a free drink or everyone gets you know uh, ex you know free food or whatever you know we'd celebrate it, and then we're like, all right, we hit forty thousand, now fifty thousand, and then fifty thousand turning to sixty thousand, yeah. sixty turning to seventy, seventy turning to eighty. Even Joe's like, this is fucking crazy. Um, I was like, dude, hundred grand, we got this, hundred thousand dollars, and we kept getting busier, right, because we were so maniacal about guest service and the guest experience right at that time and being fast and making sure we were building regulars every single day. And all of a sudden we were like, we need more seats. We need to jam people in and we're on these long waits. Man, we hit a hundred thousand dollars, and we had eventually, I think, our busiest week in that little small, you know, thirty-eight hundred square foot restaurant was like a hundred twenty-something thousand wow. dollars. We hit. How long
0: did it take you to go from thirty to one hundred twenty? Less than a year. Less than a year. Less than a year. We're gonna pull back layers on this. I yeah. wanna First, ask my ask, or uh, first, I want to start by asking you, what is the power of in- incremental growth? Why, why do you set like a lower goal instead of just saying let's go for a thousand?
1: Because it's achievable. Yeah, it's realistic.
0: What's that? Why is that important?
1: Because realistic. If if you just say, "Hey, we're going to do a hundred thousand dollars," well, how are you going to get there? You know, in little steps, right? You know, but our first step—that's our big goal, like you just said. You know, what's the yearly goal? What's a two-year goal or five-year goal? Whatever you know, you got to have in steps, like here's our near future goal. This is what we want. And this is $40,000. It's very realistic. And this is how we're going to do it. So people would come in and we would do contests, like who's going to sell the most margaritas, who's going to sell the most bowls or tacos or whatever, or queso. And we'd have contests, right? And whoever wins that contest gets 50 bucks. You know, we would do that all the time. And so we would get the staff motivated, right? And we, they were part of our goals, you know? Um, so I think that's it. You know, you start and as long as your goals are achievable and you get wins along the way you get more buy-in from other people right yeah. around you
0: well what's the power of what you did in all this where when you said we're gonna get a hundred thousand yeah even the owner was like it's not gonna happen yeah even your staff that's not gonna happen yeah but what's the
1: power of yes you create a vision it can happen you just create a vision yes yeah. and it's and you know when you have those little wins along the way when all of a sudden you get to 60,000 and 70,000 people are like Oh man, this is this is realistic. Yeah. We might hit this. Yeah, you know.
0: Are you familiar with the psychology of what's going on? Like what's actually happening in your brain when you when you tell people, like when you when you choose to believe something's possible?
1: Tell me. I feel like you the, want to explain this.
0: Well, I mean, it's the frontal lobe. Yeah, know? it's that thing. It's, and when when you say no, it's not possible. You're right because your yeah. your your brain will literally shut off. Your brain is the, it's a hungry beast. Yeah, and it takes a lot of energy. To to solve problems and to try to figure things out and to constantly brainstorm is is it's, it's an energy suck. So over evolution, we your brain was has evolved to try to save energy. So if it thinks that something's not possible, I'm not going to waste my time. On right. That. But if you ter- sense. if you override that and you say it is possible, the frontal lobes st- kicks in and it starts. You start asking yourself, how is it possible? Mm-hmm. And then you start thinking and strategizing and trying to think like what's one little thing what's a a little tweak here Mm -hmm. a little tweak there and you start and then you start telling your team about it right now you're tapping into that that potential energy of all these different people trying to solve the same problem you're tapping into a, a whole network of batteries that are trying to solve one problem and all of a sudden anything becomes possible yeah because you just figure it out and like the universe will provide a solution. It's out there. Just try to find it. But if you say nope, not possible, then you're not you're never going di- to direct energy towards solving those problems.
1: Yeah. No, it makes total sense. Yeah. It really does. Um I geek out over this stuff. Can you Yeah, me, me too. I love yeah, this. Yeah. I love this stuff. So
0: yeah, man, like set those goals and then 1% better every day. Yeah. And then what what happens is when you get closer then the team celebrates, and they want yes. to get that. They want to get that shot of adrenaline again, that shot of dopamine again, because it feels good. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you don't have a gambling problem because you're getting your good chemicals. Someplace That's else. That's it. That's it. That's exactly it. <laughs> yeah, it's man.
1: competitive. Yeah.
0: You know. So. Yeah. Numbers, dude. I'll see yeah. why you're an accountant now. Yeah. <laughs> so these are great lessons, man. Um. So what were the? Oh, I am. I wanted to get into that. The power of incremental, and we we unpackaged that. But what were if you can remember, like. Thirty thousand. Okay, what can we do? What was the? What are the first things you started to do to start slowly creeping that up that we can
1: recreate in our own business? Really, it was it was the speed of service. You know, mm-hmm. I had the the benefit of seeing how the store, the restaurant was running as a business, right? From how fast the servers and the cooks and everyone was getting the product out, how fast we were approaching the so, table. Throughput. Yeah, throughput. That's exactly it. Yeah. You know how fast were we even approaching people at the door saying hello how are you you know we need to have a wait list you know we're we're again on napkins you know like oh yeah. what's your name real fast okay you know we'll get to you um so you know just little things like that, like having a wait list you know and and we're gonna greet people at the door in less than 10 seconds you know even when they're walking in hey i'll be right with you um you know drinks are out in two minutes apps are out in two minutes um you know our tacos are out in eight minutes you know it was it was that so definitely throughput was a bit was a big reason. You know, and, and here's one thing we, we always said we want, our, we want to value our customers' time and their money so we don't want them to waste their money we most definitely don't want them to waste their time so if they're just st- sitting around waiting for a check the server hasn't been around forever we, there's no way we could give that back yeah we could comp their bill but we can never give them back that time which sucks, right? So that, those are two things we, we really focused on. Yeah, throughput also that's that's huge. Yes.
0: So you gave the customer back their time. So now you're adding value. Yes. Not just you know you're, you're, I'm sure the price didn't change, right? No. So now like they're getting more value, more perceived value with the same amount of investment for them.
1: Yes. Because you're
0: giving them time back, yep. and you're getting more, you're doing more with less. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, it's about how many, how many people can I serve? How many drinks can I sell? Yes. How many tacos can I sell in this given amount of time? So what were the little tweaks that you did that are recreatable as far as like, how did you start shaving that time off? Like, was there like, are there obvious things that anybody listening to this? Yeah. Can do today? Like so,
1: what? you know, the very first hire I did, I, I used to work with a guy named Jan Stewart. He's our VP of food operations today. He runs our commissary and everything. And I worked with him and he was a kitchen manager and I when I left that concept I said hey man I'm gonna open up my own restaurant one day, I'm gonna come back for you. So our back of the house operations was just okay, you know, and we had a lot of mistakes though, you know, and stuff like that. Sometimes we were slow, you know, it was very unpredictable when the food was coming out, stuff like that. And I hired Jan and he how did you us- hire him? What year was it? Uh, 2000 and late 2014. Okay. So relatively early in all this. Yeah. So, or I'm sorry, late 2015, late 2015. Um, and he was able to help us and work with me and work with Joe on just creating, uh, uh different kitchen equipment that really made us more efficient. Um, kept product hot, you know, and hot longer. Uh, and stuff like that, and where we would have to like make less steps in the kitchen while we we're making tacos and, and and food in general and prepping. Uh, so he was a really big benefit uh, to our, our. He still is to this day, um, probably our best employee. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that that was one. Just making making us more efficient in back of the house was one for sure. And then you know in front of the house, making sure we're nice, man. We're, we're very friendly and building regulars every day. That was our motto. It still is to this day. Is Try to make regulars every day. Try to remember what, try to get people's name. Like, who are they? What brought them in? How many times have they been in? What do they do in the neighborhood? Do they work around the neighborhood? They live in a neighborhood. So then next time, you're just like, Eric, hey, how are you? How is the podcast? Any new podcast you do? Yeah. You want to personalize you know, the yeah, message. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you want the same taco? You want the same drink? You know, and people love that, you know, and that's what brings people back. Yeah. Do you ever hear the expression, what's everybody's favorite word? What their own
0: name? <laughs> yes, it makes sense. We're like dogs, right? To, we snap to attention. <laughs> what Did you say? My name? Uh, but we love when people remember who we are, uh, yeah. and especially what we like. It, and I don't know about you, and I echo this all the time. I mean, is food important? Is the is the product like the, that? You know, the that we're producing. I mean, obviously, really, what we're producing is the experience, right? Yes. that's the product. But is the food important? Absolutely. But yes. people aren't loyal to food. You know what I mean? Like, they're loyal yeah. to, to, to other people. Yeah. I don't know about you, but when I go out to eat, I, I, I'm i basing my decision off of do I like the people who work there? Yes. That's what I'm, maybe I'm not like everybody else, but.
1: No, no, no. That makes um, sense.
0: So, so is it safe to say that you're, you're, like, your lane isn't back of house? You had to outsource for back of house, bring somebody in for back of house? Yes, for sure. Okay. Um, Can you remember, like, one element of like what really shaved time off in the back of house, things that they started doing back there, like, specifically?
1: You know, shaving time. Um, like were they did you guys implement a KDS
0: or was it just no like that a was until after COVID was it man, all about the like KDS
1: steps? yeah it was more than just about steps and making sure that. I, it's, it's so many things, so many steps that, that, that add to it, right? It's like not taking too many orders from the front of house and then just piling it all on the back of the house at once, right? Yeah. So actually having a time system too, like, hey, tacos in, you know, and, and, st- and t- at the time we would write down the, 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 the time of the tacos at that, at, when we had tickets and chits where a customer would fill out the chit. And we would have that time on the ticket. And then the expo would like, say like, like, bar taco style. No, not bar taco. It, like we had actual paper chits. You put okay. your name and you fill out your own, build your own Got taco, it. and then that chit would go to the kitchen, Got it. and the server would put the time at the bottom of, of of the chit, and then that expo or that kitchen manager would always make sure that they knew what the time was on those t- yeah. on those tacos. Right. Yeah. So if, if it was like over twelve minutes, it was a nine one one. Guys, yeah. we're at twelve minutes. What do you need? You yeah, know, let's go. Like, do we need more people on the line? Yeah. What do we need to do? So there was we're just more aware. Of of how long this food was taking. Yeah, I think that just was tracking these. Yeah, just tracking it.
0: Yep, yep. All right. What about other growth over time? So we talked a lot about just this in- incremental growth, hitting these sales numbers, and yeah. um, just making small changes over time. Um, this all was in the first six months. Yeah, yeah. Six, 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 six eight year. months. You said it took a year to get to that point. Yeah. Okay. Um. That. So when did like when did the conversation of like location number two and three and four start to happen? About month eighteen, month eighteen, so a year
1: and a half in. Yep. So we, I think we opened up our second location in two and a half years. But we started talking about it, you know. And we were so busy, we actually opened up a restaurant one point two miles. Oh no, 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 no! I'm sorry, it's the other direction. One point eight miles uh, south of our original location. Have we taken on a break a same to thank a sponsor yet?
0: Do you no, remember me saying let's no. take a break to thank a sponsor? We did not. Oh shit! We should probably take a break to thank our sponsor. Yeah. I was so lost in the conversation, and I love it. We'll be right back this episode is brought to you by restaurant technologies inc rti's total oil management automates your entire cooking oil process with total oil management you get dependable fresh bulk cooking oil delivery filtration plus oil usage monitoring and reporting easy oil disposal used cooking oil pickup and recycling and say goodbye to those messy dangerous restaurant rendering tanks yuck RTI's end to end cooking oil system helps you manage your used cooking oil disposal, storage, collection, and recycling conveniently, safely, and cleanly with no upfront cost. RTI's services are not limited to oil. They also provide insurance premiums and automated hood cleaning solutions plus hood filtration systems, making your hood cleaning process easy, automatic, and worry free. In addition to all this, Restaurant Technologies Inc. can help you reduce your carbon footprint, which we all know is becoming increasingly more important to the consumer. Restaurant Technologies Inc is always on so you don't have to be. To learn more head to rti-inc.com and let them know Restaurant Unstoppable Podcast sent you their way. Recently on the show you've been hearing it come up often. Fred Langley CEO of restaurant systems pro will be leading a group of restaurant tours through the restaurant systems pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts and seats, and that's not it. that's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. We're back. Um, in the journey, we are at one location, about to go to two. That's where we left off. Yeah. Um. So, real quick, kind of just with Condado, just tell me like what were like the the spurts of growth. So, like, if in two thousand fifteen you went from one to two, and then in the following, you know, seven or eight years. Like what was like the like how did you like what was like the paint the, the growing pains thereafter but just like go through it real fast
1: yeah so then we went to Pittsburgh uh, that was our third location it was right downtown it was three hours away so that was a big jump for us because it wasn't that. in our hometown yeah so yeah we did that and then we we infilled uh, back here in Columbus and then we went to Cleveland and then we went to Detroit uh, after that um, and then we started to branch out even more or Indiana sorry and then Cincinnati. Um, yeah, the growth really started to happen right around 2017, 18, um, you know, at like five, six stores uh, a year. And that's when it really started to happen. And then COVID hit, and, you know, that really didn't slow us down. And you know, we took advantage of real estate and then just continued to grow even further out into like Nashville, North Carolina, a lot of, well, again, more infill in Cleveland, Cincinnati, Detroit market, and just Michigan in general, Grand Rapids. So, yeah. So, what were the growing pains? Oh man, training! I will tell you, you know, making sure everything was consistent. Do the same thing in chronological order of like the like the hurdles you hit along the way. Okay, so our biggest um, adjustment was, you know, and this is another great vision that Joe had idea he had, and that was a commissary. We actually started our commissary around, um, uh, well, we did uh, at, at location number three while we were in Pittsburgh. So we would make our Food here in Columbus, Ohio, and then deliver it every single day to Pittsburgh wow. because he was so adamant and maniacal about um, making sure everything was consistent, all of our food was consistent you know, he knew like once we would branch out you know, the people in whatever city that we're in they might say, eh, I think I need more garlic in this, I think I need more more pepper in this so, so at three locations like two and a half years in basically, yeah, two and and a half, three years in
0: yeah, three locations, um, the commissary was a challenge you also said training, when did the training really become a challenge for you
1: I'd probably say also with Pittsburgh, our, our third location, because it was so far away. And, you know, we're, we're hiring different people. And, and so just making sure our standards were on paper and they're just being trained properly. Um, nothing was digital at the time, it was all paper. Um, so I think, you know. This is 2016? Yeah, 2016. 2016. Yeah. yeah. A lot of those services
0: are just starting to come out the, the training platforms, yeah. And stuff like that. Okay. So training, figuring out the commissary. What else were, like, was an evolution along this, this timeline for you?
1: Um, you know, and just hiring different positions, you know, so a training director, even a regional manager, you know, I was a regional, regional manager. I was, I was always on the road going back and forth from Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Indiana, Cincinnati. Um, and you know, I, I, hired my very first regional manager in 2016. We also hired our very first, uh, CEO and president, Larry Hessler in 2016, uh, 17 ish. Uh, and he was a COO of City Barbecue. Great mentor. Uh, so it he was, was a
0: regional manager, and what was his position?
1: Oh, uh, we, we had, no, one of the positions I had to hire for was uh, a regional manager and position. And then Larry was, what was his title? He was the president and CEO at the time. Okay. So, yeah, so Joe stayed as founder. I was uh, director of operations. I went to VP of operations. Um, and then you know, Larry came on board as a, as a mentor for all of us. And uh, you know, he had experience with City Barbecue, growing that brand to 30-plus 30, 30 locations at the time. Today they have 50. Um, so we needed someone to help us with the growth and making sure we were taking all the right steps. Larry came on in 2016? 17. 17? Yeah. Uh,
0: what, was it that the, what were the biggest impacts out of the gates? So when Larry came
1: in and he made his assessment, he was like, well, this is what you have to do. Bigger well, picture thinking. What does that B- look bigger like? Bigger picture thinking. And it was like, Whatever we're doing this year already has to be fully baked. We should just be looking at it as, you know, making sure we're on track and on schedule, right? But what we're doing today, we need to start thinking about next year. What do we need for next year? And that was, that was hiring people, right? And Even ahead of time. If you want to grow and you want to grow fast, you need the people. You need to make sure that they're trained, they have the right people doing the position today. And that was, you know, catering. Catering catering came on board in two thousand eighteen. That that was a game changer for us. Um, you know, today, you know, we do, you know, thirty five to forty percent of our business is online or is takeout and big part of that is catering today. Um, you know, that was a big transformation, catering in general, just learning that and, and getting the right person hired. And that's a and that's actually the fastest growing segment of our business today, catering.
0: All right, we got a lot to unpackage, and I love that idea. Like, and this is one of the things I'm trying to think about. I actually went to a conference not too long ago, and they're like, "You got to start. You got to think about the, the, the business you want to be, yeah, and start thinking like that business. What is and like, and, and then start filling in the holes, the things you're not doing, and start doing those things. And a lot of that is personnel people. Like, you, you can't do it alone. You need to find specialists for those things because yeah. you can't do everything. You know. Um, so I always say two things determine growth. Cash
1: flow and people. Mm-hmm. Well, did you have the cash flow for all these people? We did because we were so profitable. That's why, you know, we sold a ton of margaritas, man. There's so many profits. <laughs> just tacos and you know, our food cost is really low with a Mexican style concept, and then margaritas. Um, you know, you know, 35 of our sales is, is alcohol. Yeah, so that's a lot of profit. So yeah, and you know, Joe is really good about that too. Is like we wouldn't take out profits. We would just constantly reinvest it back into the company. So that's another reason why we were able to, to 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 grow the business.
0: I love that. I love that. Yeah. Um, one one more
1: thing was a very transf transformal for our company was third party delivery. That was a huge internal argument uh, because of the fees. 2018? 18. 2018. and me and Joe would argue about it all the time.
0: It's funny because I saw when I did a search for you know Condado, the first thing that pop, pops up is Easy Cater. Yeah, and. Um, uh, I think like all these third party. I was like, I wonder how they feel about that. But it sounds like that's probably what you it want. does very well.
1: Okay, yeah. cool. It does. And You know, we we feel like it's it's just uh, it, it's it's incremental sales the third party because those who are ordering from third party, they're gonna order third party whether you're on it or whether you're not because they're ordering for convenience. And I was an example of that. Me and my wife, you know, very career focused, always going to go go go. Don't have time to cook. Uber, DoorDash, you know, and that that was we were doing it. All of a sudden, I was like, man, we do this five nights a week. We talked to friends. They're doing it three, four, five nights a week. I'm like, why aren't we doing this? So I would present it to Joe, and he was like, the fees are too high, bud. Fuck that. And Joe went to Europe for 30 days in 2018, and I got together with Larry. I go, Larry, we got to test this. And he was like, I'm going to act like I don't know about it. It's on (laughs) you. It's on you, kid, if you do it. So I did it for all of Indiana and Cincinnati. He came back. And the, the results were phenomenal, man. It was so profitable. So, is it a mindset thing of just looking at this as like
0: it's additional revenue that yeah. we're not getting if we don't, if we're not there. That's it. Um, what about this idea of like not getting the relationship with the guest and yeah. not having the data associated with the guest? Is there a system, a process, a strategy for trying to own that customer, or are you just kind of like
1: their lost costs? I know we could do it better. You know, I know we had better packaging. We had sustainable packaging. We were proud of our packaging at the time. Um, and I was a customer already of third party delivery, and I would get some bad experiences. And I'm like, we could do this better. And so I always knew we were very fast in our restaurants. I knew we could get the orders out very quickly. And even to this day, we you know when you order from Condado from Doordash, by the time it hits your door is less than thirty minutes. Wow.
0: It's delivered to your door. So you're going. What do you mean about we can do this better? Are you saying we can create the delivery experience like yes. a better. But there, there's still. The deliver the third party is still picking it up from you. They are. So what's different that you're doing that? So you're just are you adding more value? Or are you getting more if you order We're quicker? Does so
1: so our 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 you know, you know this is another conversation but uh, or topic but I guess we could talk about you know right. we treat our Uber and our DoorDash and our GrubHub delivery people like they're our own employees. Okay. You know if we don't want them to wait around because they know time is money. The yeah. more orders that they have the more money that they make. Absolutely. So there's actually a YouTube video about it in Pittsburgh about a guy, a, U, a DoorDash driver. I forget his name, but he he educates other DoorDash drivers on how to make the most money. And he's like, you got to go to busy restaurants. You got to go to reliable restaurants who are going to have your orders on the time. They're going to be accurate and they're organized. So I just walk in. I say, here's an order for Smith. I get to grab the bag. I'm hitting the door in less than 10 seconds. Yeah. And that's what we do. That's what we pride ourselves on. So, you know, again... We monitor that on a weekly basis. How long does it take for the average order to hit your doorstep? And if it's over, if it's over thirty-five minutes, it's a nine-one-one to us. You know, like why is that? It's got to be something that we're doing at the restaurant, not the driver, because we have a ton of orders that go out through third-party delivery. So, on average, it's about twenty-three minutes uh, for you to get your get your get your order to your doorstep.
0: I feel like I'm still feeling like a disconnect though, um, because you said that when I asked about how do you go about like. You know, trying to migrate these people from third party to, yeah. to your own ordering platform.
1: You say, we do it better. Um, the experience, whether you're... Are you delivering? Like, what do no. I, I guess what I'm, what do I mean by... I like, mean, well, the experience for off-premise is accuracy, making sure your order is right, yeah. making sure it's fast, mm-hmm. making sure it's fresh, the packaging is great. How many times do you get a third-party delivery order and the packaging is shit, or it's leaking and it's cold, or it's not right? It ruins the whole experience. But it all comes from the same place, though, right? Like it comes from the restaurant. Yeah. Like whether
0: it's the orders being placed through you and your in your POS or your website, direct from
1: you, where or, there's a bigger margin.
0: Like the you're still packaging it and it's still going out the door the same way. Yeah.
1: What but am I not understanding? I guess we're doing it better than most.
0: Oh, than everybody.
1: Yes. And but. I was an ex. I was a I was a avid customer of third party delivery because I was always on the go. Me and my wife and we would have these experiences. I'm like, Kenda, has gotta get in this. We gotta get into this business. But do you make an effort to try to get people off of third party or do
0: you just- We kind do, of, okay. we do,
1: we do. But we know it's, you know again, those who want to go and deliver to their house, they're going to order it regardless if you're on that platform or not. So you might as well be on that platform. And if you are, you better be doing it great because there's a lot of people that just do it in a mediocre way right or they do it with a lot of inaccuracy so we take it very serious it's a big part of our business yeah, now the packaging so what, give
0: me an example of the things you do for the packaging to, to elevate that experience
1: yeah so we make sure you know it's not cheap it's sustainable you know sustainable packaging is not cheap you know, how did you learn about sustainability well I think just you know one it's important to us about the environment and then also listening to our guests our customers there was a time where we had most of our our, our to-go was plastic and we would actually hear about that from our guests and we we're like you know what they're right they're right Yeah. let's change it it's more expensive, but you know what? It's the right thing to do. It's more expensive, than it's, and also, if you're doing the right thing,
0: I think you should shamelessly pay that forward to the consumer. Yeah, maybe.
1: I'm sorry, I hear you.
0: But like, they want sustainable packaging. Okay, right, absolutely. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, and that's. I think that's what the consumer. Needs. That's our job is to educate the consumer on what their role is in all this. Yep. You know, like you want these changes to happen. It's got to come from somewhere. Yeah. I you mean, it know? goes even
1: to our straws. You yeah. know, our straws are made of agave plants now. You know, that's been that way for the last five years. But you know, 95% of our packaging is, is, is paper.
0: So, so you, you move from um, plastic and
1: like other stuff to sustainable packaging. What else were you doing like, as far as packaging goes? Making sure it's good quality, making sure it's holding the temperature of our bowls and of our, of our queso uh, right, right? It's not cheap. So that, that's, you know, and also you could label it, you yeah, can name it, games. you could put your name on it yeah. too, right? Um, and also we want to make sure that it was a part, an extension of our brand, right? So like our catering, you know, I know the video probably can't see it, but like our catering box above the bar, it's very colorful, it's very bold, it's very bright, it's very in your face. That's a lot like our artwork in our restaurants, the catering box oh under under the TV no no above above the bar see those boxes as they come together crave together don't let
0: me leave here without getting some um, some b-roll of that yes I love that yeah Um, so in terms of like the, the sustainability I mean I feel like that's a huge project to tackle
1: it is so did you do it on your own well, no. Well, as of recently, we just partnered with Green Spaces. Okay. So they're, they've been helping us out. They're actually. I clearly already knew that.
0: Okay. I interviewed Adriel Labarski. Oh I yeah, think you're nice. Working with him. Yeah.
1: Labruski Labarski. Sorry, Adriel, for listening yeah. to this. And, and they're currently still evaluating our company right now on where we could do better at. Okay. What so, are they telling you? Um, well, and they're digging deep. They're digging deep, like into our HVAC units, oh, yeah. <laughs> our electric, our, our electric, our plumbing, or water. Are you how much to water? A B Corp? What's that? Are you trying to become a B Corp? No, yeah. no, no, not at all. We're just trying to do our part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good. Uh, but yeah, how much water we're using? You know, how much trash we're going through? It's pretty crazy. So yeah, I, I
0: recently interviewed Adriel. He's actually a big reason why I'm here because he called you guys out to be a guest in the oh, show. Oh, nice. Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna have you call somebody out, and I'm really trying to have that steer of the show. I really want to try to have this thing be as transparent as possible. Awesome. And, like I'm trying to find, follow the clues, right? Yeah. Uh, he was just really impressed by your by your uh, organization. And uh, coincidentally, not long after or before I interviewed Adriel, uh, Adriel um, I think your publicist reached out to me. And I was like, how convenient is this? Okay, nice. I was like, this is perfect. The, yeah. the stars are aligned. Probably Roger, yeah. Yeah, Roger. He's a great guy. Yep. Uh, super helpful. Thank you, Roger. Um, so I think we unpackaged the you know the the packaging and the <laughs> capability. Um, so the other thing you said that helped a lot was catering yes. what were the pain points associated with catering
1: finding the right person I must have interviewed about 80 people so I found the right person what and is it, the right person someone with energy you know someone's wow. got passion for customer service wow. even in the catering business someone's going to follow up with our guests right um, you know and there's just a lot of tired people out there just kind of been doing catering for a while just kind of going through the motions so and why need, do you need the energy because one we're so busy you know we're just a, we're, you know we have a saying, in our, or at least in our operations in our field, uh, we we have we have a, a hashtag that we made. It's called "Built Different." We feel like this company is just built different, man. You know, we're barrel chested. Yeah, back to that. Yeah, <laughs> but no, we, you no, know, we're just go go go. You know, we're very fast. You know, and and you know a lot of, you know seventy percent of our promotions are actually internal. You know. Um, you know, 30% of the people we hire are external because it is a lot to, to grasp with Condado because we're so fast and we're so go, go, go. And, um, and sometimes that's, that's not easy for people to adapt to. So even in the catering, we weren't doing any catering. I knew it'd be a heavy lift. I needed someone with a lot of passion and someone who has lots lots of energy and who had a passion for customer service. If they're going to be, Create brand awareness outside our four walls. They had to be a good representation of us. They had to have really good energy. They had to care, care about we'll people. It. I think you That's need to it. be really creative for, to be a caterer. You had
0: to find opportunity where no one else is looking. Like where, like where are the people? Where are the people? Where, yeah. How can we get the food to the people? And just go find opportunities to get food to people. Yep. It just like you know this idea of like if you say you you can't do it, then you're right. Like you need that person that has like it's like I can figure out. Wherever the people are, and get the food to them. Yep, you know? right. I'm um, uh, going through my notes here. Um, you said the commissary was another big challenge. It was huge, man. So, what did you learn? Like, what advice huge. do you have for the commissaries?
1: I just don't know any other way you would do it now. And that's how much we believe in it. Um, at first, we had we had three stores, and Joe really believed in it. And I was like, again, it's a big investment. I would rather put this investment into another location, another store. And he was so adamant and maniacal about just keeping things consistent and food safety, right? Once you start to expand and you start to go in other cities and states, it's a gamble of who's handling your food, you know? Are they going to handle it just as um, careful as you are and as safe as you are? So he was like, I, we need a commissary already. And I was like, man, all right. So we end up going, uh, we, we have taken a, a huge 9,000 square foot restaurant space in downtown Columbus, Ohio and turning it into just a big warehouse of a a commissary. And we would, you know, um, at the time, I don't know how much money it was, but, you know, we invested in very um, affordable equipment, but to make things in big batches and fresh, and we would seal it all up, and then we would ship it out the very next day. And we would do all of our own delivery. So not only are we in the restaurant business, now we're in the logistics business. We accidentally got into that. And that grew all the way up to where we're at today, a huge commissary. We're at a 30,000 square foot commissary today and six trucks. And, wow. And, and yeah, almost a dozen drivers. And yeah. so, yeah. Yeah.
0: I'm curious, in terms of
1: growth and picking where to open
0: your next locations, do you think Pittsburgh was a good first choice for a second location?
1: It was great, man. Yeah. Why is that? It was third, third location. Third, third location. You know, it was still three hours away. So we could still get there in a day, right? Yeah. Easily, right? Um, and it was good to test out the mark or our concept in another city, in another state. You got legs in a different, yes. In a different demographic, you know, the people in Pittsburgh are brutally honest <laughs> you, from our no guests. Steeler fans, man. Yeah. you have it from our guests to even our employees. You know, when we do our employee surveys, uh, and, and an annual basis, they are, they, they do not hold back, which I love. I love it, you know, cause we know where we stand there. But, um, the city of Pittsburgh really embraced our concept, and we had a great, great people to open up that store too within the organization. Um, and yeah, I mean today we have six stores there, and uh, it, it's it's probably our best region in our entire concept. Yeah. What has your strategy for growth been since that point? So today we're in nine states, um, and I will tell you we probably made I don't want to say a mistake because it wasn't necessarily a mistake, but. We've grown outside of the Midwest a lot faster than what we probably should have, and but what I mean is, you know, we went to South Carolina, North Carolina, Alabama, and St. Louis all in one year. Okay, and that's 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 heavy. You know, it's yeah. it's a little bit too what much. What happens when you do that? You kind of stretch everyone thin, you mm-hmm. know. And and like I said, seventy percent of our promotions are internal, so. We stretch our development of our people thin. You know, it's a revolving door now in some of our locations where, like, hey, can you be a GM of St. Louis? Can you be a GM of Alabama? Can you be a G- GM of South Carolina? Oh, wait, can you be a GM now of Alabama? Can you go to St. Louis? Because, you know, whatever, things happen or people realize they can't move or whatnot. So
0: you, you open this door without the, the people that can move forward into those locations. Or you think they're ready. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and they're not. There's a know? fine balance. And that's funny because I'm, I'm always saying, People and cash flow determine growth. So in my mind, when I say people determine growth, it's when you have as many units as you have and you're bursting at the seams and there's like, you have, behind every position, you have one person that you have on deck to move into that position and then a third person behind them, right? And now you're thinking to yourself, if I don't start moving people, they're going to start finding that opportunity. Somewhere else, so you open the other locations strictly to create the opportunity yes. for the next wave, and then that's how you know. But sometimes, if you're trying to grow aggressively, and especially in a, competi- a competitive market like tacos, yeah, I see the, I see the,
1: the, 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 I guess the temptation to to push the envelope. Yeah, what's going through your mind? You know, people are so important, and I think that's one thing that we've always knew we've done a really good job of is taking care of our people. But it's also now, like I said, and that's why it's happened over the last three years, is focusing on not just what they can do for the company, but what can a company do for them? Mm. How can we help you get to your what your goals, both personal and professional? If you're a, just a regular assistant manager you want to be a GM... You want to be a GM in two, three years, we can get you there easily, easily yeah. with how much experience that we throw at our managers. We can easily get you there in two years if you really want to dedicate yourself to it. Yeah. And then it's also about what, what do you want to achieve personally? You know, i my own team has pushed me in so, so many different ways on achieving goals. So I think, you know, when you talk about culture and making sure opportunity is available for people, it's also about what the company is doing. How are we helping them become a better person? You know, and that definitely helps with all the growth. If we were just about, you know, hey, here's an opportunity to be a general manager in Alabama, here's the keys, go at it, you know, yeah, it might work, but is it really going to, is it not for long? You can't yeah. do that, you know, for every location. People have to believe in the company, they have to believe in the growth, you know, and also we want to share the love, you know, like, I'll tell you, you know, is it realistic in the very, very near future? No, but we would love to take this company public one day. You know, that's something we talk about on a regular basis as a long-term goal. You know, a lot of our employees would love to work for a company on the ground level that's about to go public. Yeah, that'd be great. That's life-changing opportunity. That, that also provides you leverage to offer some types of, of additional incentive to your team
0: at giving them stock. You know, that's
1: exactly it. Yep.
0: That this, That's exactly And I used to be against a lot of this stuff. The more I learned, the more I realized there is a balance. I think what happened, one of the reasons why I got so against it is because I think that for a long time, we just got so focused on the bottom line. And yes. It's all about profit, profit, profit at the expense of people. But now, after that bottom fell out, I think that there's a, the pendulum's starting to swing. And it's yeah. like, wait a second, like, that was too much. Yep. And uh, we can't do it without the people. So how do we find the sweet spot? Yes. And I think that sweet spot is is trying to find this balance of not just maximizing profit for your investors or your stakeholders, um, but how do we maximize every, everybody's life that our business touches, and how does the the stakeholder starts seeing this as something that aligns with their values and then something they want to be a part of for their own like not just profit, but like I feel good because I'm supporting this business. Yes, you know, and really aligning not just taking money from anywhere,
1: but like who wants to invest in what we're trying to do. I actually hope this is everyone's last job in the restaurant industry or restaurant industry was with us. They retire with us. You know, that's, that's what we say all the time. That's our goal. You know, and, and, and if it's not, I hope you look back and you're like, damn, I got so much out of condado. Right. Well, look who you have at your, your, you know, as your CEO and president right now Mm and what you
0: did with Morton's. Yeah. You know, like if that's not a testament to this industry being a vehicle for growth, right? What is, yeah. You know, I going to take one more quick break to thank our sponsors. I want to get into what your people systems look like, because I know in terms of like process and operations that according to Chris, that's like kind of where like that's kind of your lane. Correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Is that yes. right? Yeah. All right. We'll be right back. Okay. This episode made possible by Owner.com. Owner.com is the quickest and easiest way for your customers to order directly from you without the expensive 30% commission fees. Look. With Owner.com, you'll save thousands every month when customers order through your website and branded app instead of third-party delivery apps and reward your customers with a built-in loyalty program that turns them into regulars who order again and again. Owner.com also helps you rank higher on Google with world-class search engine optimization built specifically for restaurants with an AI-powered website. We cannot forget lists, Build a huge list of people who live near your restaurant fast and market to that list on autopilot with text and email sent at the perfect time to help you grow sales and stay top of mind. Owner.com gives you everything you need to grow and market your restaurant online with no contracts or hidden fees. Visit owner.com slash unstoppable right now to book your free demo and see why thousands of restaurant owners trust owner.com to power their restaurants online. This episode is brought to you by Margin Edge. Margin Edge is a restaurant management software that helps you see your food and labor cost in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. Just snap a picture of your invoice and Margin Edge will process them within 24 to 48 hours with line item detail, including handwritten adjustments. This allows you to save hours on paperwork so you can spend more time on creating great guest experience. Margin Edge combines purchases from your invoices and sales data from your POS, which allows you to get real-time costing, get a daily controllable P&L, and send information directly into your accounting system. Margin Edge integrates with 60-plus POS systems and dozens of accounting systems. Manage everything from one central location, inventory, recipes, plate costs, ordering, and bill pay. Margin Edge was created by restaurant people for restaurant people. And as a matter of fact, Margin Edge founders continue to operate restaurants to this day. Head to marginedge.com slash unstoppable to sign up for a free demo today. That's marginedge.com slash unstoppable. We're back. And um my in my research talking to Chris about you, he said that you are I'm like, how I was like Sounds like you guys are both directors of operations. If, <laughs> if, you know, it, yeah, if Joe is the, the visionary, I was like, How's a CEO different from a CIO? We got into that conversation. He's like, Well I'm, I'm like he's like I'm I'm like operational strategy. And I, okay, I was like, if you're operations, then what's the CEO do? <laughs> he's like he's like Johnny's kind of like
1: the, the the people. He's really good with the people, systems and operations. Is that so is that would you back that up? Yeah, absolutely. I mean just systems and operations in general. Yeah. That's my entire background. Um, but yeah, I think, um, you know, when we go back to development of people, not just professionally, but personally, I think that's something I really pride myself on. And it started really in, in our department of operations, even in the field, you know, not just the executive part of the operations. Um, but yeah, just, you know, again, it's, it's, Constantly talking about our goals and keeping everyone focused is huge. There's so many moving parts to just the world today. There's so many things being thrown at us. How do we keep focused on what the goals are? And that's both with within the business and, and personally. So we talk about it all the time. You know, we talk about it on a weekly basis. What are those goals? We have, you know, I tell you, like our, our financial goals. You know, we do inventory every single week. We talk about labor and beverage costs and food costs on a weekly basis. Every Monday, we know where we stand with all those numbers. Um, and, you know, where a lot of businesses, they might not find out what their labor number is until after the end of the period in 30 days.
0: Yeah. I just want to point out that was the most polite ice drop. <laughs> She's being mindful because I. Ice Drop is my like it's like my worst enemy <laughs> yeah. in the podcast. Like right. that was she was very considerate. I just want to point that out. Like, you guys probably didn't even hear that. Yeah, sorry for interrupting. No. <laughs> I, just, I thought it was great. Well, so back to this idea of like creating opportunity or like focusing on what the goals are, yeah. communicating the goals, uh, doing the inventory, uh, doing the labor,
1: and and like KPIs basically KPIs. Yeah, and then and then it's also uh, you know doing. Those are your basic KPIs. Every restaurant should be doing that on a weekly basis. But, you know, we talk about third-party delivery. You know, we monitor our accuracy report, and, you know, we do it company-wide. Like, who had the most inaccuracies in the company last week? Who had the best percentage of inaccuracies throughout the week? And we monitor that. How long did it take uh, your third-party delivery order to, to get to the the the, the, uh, the doorstep of our guests? Who did it best? Who did it the worst? On a weekly basis, we have people monitoring this. You know, even in our catering department, you know, we look at our reviews. We you know, reviews are a really big part of our culture too, as well. Um, you know, we if you if you write a three star below, that gets sent to me. When and- do people write three stars? Or when do they report their stars? Well, okay, so we use a, a, um, a platform called Yext. So Yext monitors all of our guest reviews through TripAdvisor, Google, Facebook, uh, Yelp, all that. And in live time, so Eric sends, you know, my order was inaccurate, you know, or it was cold or it just sucked, um, two stars. I get an alert on my phone. And then my RMs get an alert on their phone. And the GM of that store gets Regional alert managers, on their phone. Managers. So all the way down. So we all know. Where do we mess up on? And then we're able to reach out to that guest in live time. So that's you know that that's another way of, of measuring the KPIs in real in real time. What's this called? Yext. Yext. It's I I highly recommend it. It was a game changer for our company for sure. Um, yeah. Sorry, not, not sure sure I was going with that. So <laughs> you no,
0: know, so uh, we're talking about um, you're talking about like when people get like a three, you get notified. Yeah. So it's about. All these different KPIs that you're monitoring beyond just the standard labor, you know, your l stuff.
1: Yep. And then catering too. We, we had the same thing with catering. Um, you know, the average person on Easy, or I'm sorry, average company on Easy Cater responds to their guests within three hours. We respond to our guests within 15 minutes. Um, and we're, we've been that way for the last three years, but we invested in people. We have people to take those orders and take those inquiries, right? Um, so, you know, there's one theme here that you're going to see about Condado. It's all about speed. Yeah. Speed of service. How fast can we get back to the guest? How fast can we get our product to the guest? How fast can we, can we, we, we thank them for the reviews? Um, how fast, um, you know, can we... Uh, can we correct things in the moment if things are if things are, are, are messed up or we make mistakes? Uh, how can we get better in live time? And that's what's so important about a growing brand. Sometimes you're late to the game. You know, some, if we're doing it 30 days, six months out, I mean, that's how much money and how many customers can we lose yeah. in that time? So this all started with communicating goals, right? Yeah, and that's part of like uh, this idea
0: of of growth in um, creating opportunity and growth for people and. Like, I guess one of the things I really want to get is like, what are your systems for training in in terms of like, when somebody comes on as a new hire, mm-hmm. like do they know like, like how they
1: can grow with the company? What is that like? What does that look like? Yeah, yeah. So we have a path, a career path with Condado. So okay. it starts all the way from you know you could be at a host or a dishwasher, a server, a bartender. If you want to become a manager, there's a growth path there. You know we explain how you can get there and where the steps you have to take. You know, from, what do those steps look like? Well, you could be an hourly manager. Um, you could be a shift leader, shift leader, hourly manager, um, a regular assistant manager, an AGM, a GM, or a, a, if you want to do back of the house, we have assistant kitchen managers and then a kitchen manager. Um, and then also, what we what we created was um, assistant regional managers, which is a very unique position yeah. for the restaurant industry. What does that look like? So, unfortunately, I had a couple of. Um, bad experiences with, with regional managers. You know, when we talk about growth outside of our home base, you have to trust people, right. And they have to manage your time and and they have to have integrity. Right. And sometimes when, you know, you might have regional managers that might not do the right thing. Right. And I was having that experience by hiring externally. So I created this position called the assistant regional manager. And that person, reported and worked directly to the regional manager, and they learned their job and everything that they do. And so instead of hiring um, a regional manager who's new to the business You're and saying, say, here's six, eight stores, yes. learn it now. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that's really hard. Yeah. So now we have people that come up in the organization. If they're great GMs and they, they, they run great stores and they, they, they know our culture. Um, they have low turnover and the reviews are great and they have a profitable restaurant. You know, then they qualify to be an assistant yeah. regional manager. And then they learn how to multitask and, and and manage not just one store, but five, six stores, right? And manage your time.
0: What determines the growth within these paths that you're, you're trying out for? I'm first? sorry? What determines the, the growth? Do you have to be selected for these opportunities? Oh, or, yeah. Okay. Yeah, what about, for sure. What about, I want to raise, right? And I don't yeah. necessarily want to be an AGM or a, yeah. or like a regional manager. Yeah. Uh, but I want to I wanna work harder and I want to make money over time. Are there things we can do to make more money over time, or do we have to... For sure, like, like yeah. what?
1: Well, one, I mean, we, we feel like we always pay very competitively in the industry. We always have. You know, like I was telling you about the early days of Joe, you know, we were paying 4 or $5 more an hour than, than our competitors, and we're still that way to this day. So if people, you know, we have plenty of employees who, you know, they don't want to go into restaurant management. They just, you know, this might be a stepping stone yeah. for, for whatever that they're doing, and that's totally fine. We accept that. But if they want to just be a great server, a great bartender, a great host, and a great line person, and a kitchen employee, we need them. We yeah. need them. So we want to pay them top dollar. We want to pay them as much money as we possibly can so they don't go somewhere else. Yeah. And that they have pride in what they do, and they look forward to what they do. And they just love being at condom. They're like, man, one, this is a fun environment. Two, I could tell that they actually care about me. And three, they pay me great. Mm. You know yeah are you building any of this training out on third party platforms or like what are you looking to
0: how, how are you looking to supplement what you do in house to like other parties that you, are
1: enhancing what you do yeah you know, right now you know, we just, you know we we go through our, our, our HR platform which is dayforce um Right now, we're in the middle of converting our manager and training program uh, into all digital. Right now, it's three hundred page binder. <laughs> <Yeah. Wow. laughs> it's over nine weeks. You know, yeah. that if you you become a manager with us, you know, it's nine weeks, and you're you're normally you're 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 training at a, a separate location that's not going to be your home base, um, and that's nine weeks. And then we follow up with you every single week on how that training went. What do you learn? Do you feel like you need more time uh, in this a certain area? Um, do you feel like you know you missed anything? So we're really thorough about that so if if you're trying to get to 100 locations by 2026 end of 2026
0: (laughs) end of thank you (laughs) end of 2026 um what's the strategy like i mean or what like what if that's the future what are you doing to prepare for the future what needs to change within your business today to be
1: ready for that i don't know if it's change or evolution yeah you know um we have to make sure that our internal promotion rate is sixty, at least 65%. And right now we're averaging 70 uh, And again, there's nothing wrong with hiring external. There's plenty of great people out there. But, you know, the people who grow within our organization tend to be our best employees. our most reliable and just get our culture, right? So we have to make sure that we're just constantly focusing on our people, making sure they're happy. I'm talking little things. Like, there's lots of Lots of businesses in general out there that kind of frown upon you if you use up all your vacation. You know, if you're a new manager with us, you automatically get three weeks paid vacation. And you know what? If you have a baby, you get two more weeks of bonding time, you know, automatically. So we have some managers who just started with us for a first year, second year in, and they're getting five weeks paid vacation. But it's like little things like, hey, Eric, you know, you only took one week of your vacation and you still have two more on the books, and it's month seven, when are you gonna take that second one? Where a lot of businesses are like, well, they don't take it, they don't take it, oh well, but we want you to take it, you know, because we care about you, and we want you to be fresh, and you know, spend time with your family, you know, and think about you. Um, So that's that's definitely a way, too. Nice. Uh, Is there anything we did
0: not discuss in today's episode that you're hoping we would get to, something that you think you're uniquely qualified to discuss?
1: think we really covered everything you know um we're a unique operation man we're yeah. a unique business you know i know um i'm um, i'm um, um, i'm very biased here but we really care about our people and i cannot say that enough you know there's so many businesses out there that say it's part of their culture and they care about their people but do they really when you really dive into it can they explain how they take care of the people how are they helping them become better individuals in this world wow. mm-hmm. right how are they becoming stronger people? This business and this company has done so much for me personally in the last nine years. I just want to repeat that. I want everyone to experience that, all of our employees. And I talk about that all the time. That's why I talk about my past, my gambling past, how much I was down in the dumps, um, how low I was to now today, which what this company has done for me, um, it's, it's 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 made me financially successful, it's made me, uh, it's gave me a, a, a tremendous experience, a great experience where I'm able to utilize even outside of Condado and In whatever industry, or if I want to jump ship and 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 change jobs and 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 do and jump into another industry, I have the people skills, I have the the, the delegation skills and the big picture thinking skills that I created here or I helped develop here. I just want everyone to get that experience. I, love that, man.
0: And I mean, this is what I'm. This is exactly what I mean with like our mission is to transform the world. Yeah, by transforming the industry. And this is how we do it, by empowering people. And how do we do that? By empowering one restaurant owner at a time so they can pull up their team around them. And I think right. it's happening, man. You know, And you're, you guys are living proof of that. So before we wrap up, I have a couple more questions for you. Um, what is one thing your business values, process, systems that just
1: totally uncommon that make you completely unstoppable? I already said people, we really value our guests' time and their money. You know, we can't give your time back. If we waste your time somehow, that makes us feel awful. Mm. You know, so that's really important to us. That's why we're always talking about speed uh, and making sure if you want to stay in one of our restaurants for an hour, by all means, you can. Just know it's coming at you fast. You know, you're not going to wait around all day. And if you say, hey, can you slow it down a little bit? We would love to. You know, we value our guests. We value their time. We value their money. We value our people, their development, and just the overall experience of Condado, man. I
0: love that. And uh, what is, like, if the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry, how have you personally transformed? How are you a better man
1: today than you were back in, you know, 2014 when you joined this team? Oh, man. I, I'm such a different manager now today. Now I know how to delegate. I know how to trust people. I always am preaching. I'm always preaching to my staff under me is try, you know, the old Steve Jobs uh, uh, quote is hire those better than you. Mm. And it's so important. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not a pro at catering, but I hired the best person I could hire in catering. And that's Karen Reed, by the way. <laughs> uh, you know, and regional managers. I have regional managers under me that are better operators than I was, you know, and that's why we're successful. Um, you know, just like I hired the Jan Stewart, our VP of food operations. I knew he knew more about the kitchen than I do, yeah. and about cooking than I do. Yeah. So hire him. Yeah. And Joe Kahn, he hired a better operator. Yeah, early out of the early. Games. Like right? talk about ego egoless. You know what I mean? So so important. So that, and then seeking to understand. Is huge, you know. Understanding why people are making the moves and the and the decisions that they're making, and just asking them the question, "Why did you make that?" Yeah. Are why? you a, are you a fan of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? Yes, <laughs> I read it. Yes, <laughs> one of those habits. Man, yeah. first
0: seek to understand, then seek to be understood, and it's huge. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I'm, I love this question or this this conversation. One more question before we have you call somebody out. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the experience, the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? You're going to leave three pieces of
1: wisdom behind. Oh my God, that's a tough one. Embrace the suck one. for one. You got to embrace the suck. Um, two more. What pieces of wisdom would I say? Seek to understand for sure. Yep. Um, and understand the why behind why people um, make the decisions and where they're coming from and ask questions. Embrace the suck. Seek to understand. Um, hmm. I really want this last one to be really good. (laughs) It also goes with um, embrace the suck. But try to be uncommon amongst uncommon. Try to be different, right? And try, you know, don't be the common person. But also be uncommon, but be uncommon amongst the uncommon. (laughs) Go above and beyond, you know, where people would just. The more you do that, that's going to be that's going that's your legacy. There's so many people that get complacent. There's so many people out there that just do the norm and the media, the bare bottom, the the bare minimum, right? But if you're uncommon amongst uncommon, one, you're doing, you're going above and beyond the average person, and then you're going above and beyond beyond the average per, the person who does more than that, right? And that's your legacy, right? That's how you're going to stand out, and that's how people are going to be like, man, that Johnny guy or that Eric guy. This is what they accomplish. Yeah. It wows them. It goes back to those $100,000 yeah. a right? And those goals that are just crazy. Yeah. And then that's what you work towards, right? So I'd say, I'd say all three of those. Be uncommon amongst uncommon is, is, is one, one saying also that we, we try to live by like, as an organization. Is, and that also goes with our hashtag, built different. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I love what you're doing here by embracing
0: or come as you are, right? Embracing yes. the individual. And I think it's so much easier to be uncommon when you're willing to be yourself because we're all unique. You know, we're all special in some way, you know, but by giving people that, that freedom to explore who they are and be who they are, I think you expedite that process of letting people become uncommon. Well,
1: you said it earlier, you know, you, 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 you attend restaurants or you visit restaurants where, you know, you like the people, right? And you don't want robots. No No. one wants robots. You don't want someone to come to your table and just go through a script. You know, we want someone to say, Hey how's that fucking taco you know if you could say get by with the F-bomb right yeah. you know, that's, that's I squeeze that's in a few here and there yeah yeah know. yeah so you know we want personality and it yeah. also goes with what you're wearing yeah. you know if you look around you know we don't have uniforms you know we want people to be who they are as long as they're clean as long as they're not offending anybody they can wear whatever the fuck they
0: want man be who you are, as long as you're hygienic. Yes. Uh, so this is when we have you call somebody. Who do you respect and admire in the industry? Somebody that if you found out I got them as a guest on the show, you'd be like, I want to listen to what they had to say.
1: You know, I'm. It's it's. He's not a big name, and I'm going to say it's my brother-in-law. And it's only because this guy is a real restaurant tour. He has done every job imaginable. He's very successful. He's got tons of energy and tons of knowledge. Uh, and that's Greg Weinstein and he's out of Chicago, Illinois, and he owns about seven restaurant and bar and grills right now in the city of Chicago within Lincoln park and Wrigleyville. Um, and I'm really not just calling him out cause he's my brother-in-law, but I did, I've learned so much from him about operations, um, and successful operations. He's a true operator, uh, and just a true, and if we're talking about restaurants and restaurant management. This is the guy you got to talk to. Frankly speaking, man, this is the reason why I asked this question because there's so many restaurant
0: owners, restaurant owners out there, yeah, who could, couldn't give any fucks about yeah. getting the attention or getting the publicity or getting the media, and those are the people I'm after, yeah. I, and I'm not, I'm not chasing the the Michelin stars of the world and the James right. Beards of the world. No offense to the people who've won those awards, but I think at the end of the day, like those. Platforms, the people that are getting awarded for this stuff aren't necessarily the most fiscally responsible operators. They're they're glitz and they're glam, and at the end of the day, like you need to take care of your people and be fiscally responsible and yeah. run a business, and right. that's what we should be getting rewarded for is being like doing the work, yes, embracing the suck and, yes. and creating opportunity for others, you know. And I get to find these people by by you know being the first person to share their story. Yeah. You know? So thank you for calling somebody who. Who's not you yeah. know, chasing the limelight. Right. I, appreciate, I appreciate that. Um, so how can we connect with you if we really enjoyed today's conversation? Maybe we're interested in joining the team over here at Canado. Like, what's the best way to connect?
1: Oh, my email. Johnny. A simple email. Johnny at Canado Tacos. All right. Beautiful.
0: And this is episode 10,000. Sorry. 1,000. And 46. 46. I see the one zero there. I keep on saying 10. Uh, it's 1046. Head over to restaurantstoppablecom slash 1046. We'll have a summary of today's discussion as well as any tools or services recommended and how to connect with Johnny and Giants to where I say, man, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, there is no question. You are unstoppable. another episode wrapped up here at restaurant unstoppable special thanks to our guest today johnny zella and honestly just for condado and all the uh content they're able to provide us here both johnny and our man chris were awesome so just thank you to the whole organization joe you're up next man i'd love to get you on the show we gotta get the, the ceo up on here next and um I'm loving the road, honestly. Uh, I feel like my my gut feeling to go on the road full time and just have faith that the industry would be there to catch me if I took this leap, and they are catching me with loving arms. People are opening their doors to me. They're opening up their networks to me, and the content is going to get better as a result. So as you're listening to this, I am in Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah, I'm on the Missouri side, and um, <laughs> I'm headed to Minneapolis, Minnesota. And uh, we have a couple interviews lined up up there, and then I'll be making my way back to New Hampshire along uh, basically the lakes through Ohio and New York and Pennsylvania. Uh, so if you're out there and you want to link up, don't be shy. Email me Eric at restaurantinstoppable dot com. And uh, one of the reasons why I'm living this this lifestyle on the road, and I'm, I got out of my apartment, was because you know we're going all in, and one of the things that. I really want to do differently is, is I want to say I'm doing it differently, but I want to lean more into this idea of taking a journalistic approach and talking to these guests. And I'm not quite there yet in the sense that I really want to be able to post up in these communities and spend time in these communities and follow the leads. Uh, in order to do that, I need to be able to stay extended periods of time on the road and doing all my research. The, the most affordable way to do this, believe it or not, is living in an RV. So right now we're trying to figure that out. I'm willing to go the uh, private investor route. If you're out here and you're about this mission to inspire, empower and transform the industry, don't be shy. Reach out to me. I'd love to find a way to make you some money. Uh, again, Eric at restaurant and if you want to support this mission, we have some really amazing things happening over at restaurant unstoppable.com uh, and the network. We're relaunching both those platforms. We're going to have three separate tiers. We're going to have a content library at the first tier, So you can be much more intentional with your listening. Uh, we're still working out the prices on these tiers. We're going to have a community based tier, where it's kind of what restaurant Unstoppable network is today. And then we're going to have a coaching tier where if Eric catch is going from one to five restaurants in five years or less, how's he doing it and who are the people he's going to. So it's like group coaching coaching with my network of mentors and me personally. Kind of like a mastermind, like a master mastermind. So lots of cool things happening. Uh, reach out to me, Eric, at restaurant if you're interested in any of those tiers. We'll add you to a list so you can stay uh, you know, up to date with where we're at and with all that, those happenings. And I just want to say thank you To the people uh, who are making this possible. Thank you to Jared Parisi for your copyright and editing, and honestly, so much more. This dude's a powerhouse. Uh, He's the most reliable guy I know, seriously, and he's just crushing it behind the scenes. And also, thank you to Callum Miola for taking charge, tackling this project with us, and just being an amazing leader out of the gates. And we have some um, really interesting things we're working on for you guys. All right, that's it for today. Until next time, peace. Out.